Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Worm, a Daily Planet Films podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss the hit web serial Worm week by week, arc by arc. I'm your host and all-powerful administrator who has just taken over each and every one of you and forced you to listen to this podcast. And this is my co-host, Scott the Sleeper. Matt, I, I, don't, I don't know what funny joke to make here because we've basically finished this book and I still have no idea what the fuck the Sleeper is, god damn it. Anyway, yep. this is the podcast for you, a worm expert, a guy to me, a first-time reader, and now I, I guess probably maybe also a worm expert, maybe? I don't know? Yeah. Uh, through Wild Post so. World of Superheroes, Supervillains, and everything in between as we, as we inspect, interpret, and even speculate on what the story is and where it is going. This week, the end is here, Matt. We're finally here on the final non-epilogue arc of worm arc 30 spec this is this is it it's here and it's uh it's gonna be a it's gonna be a really long really long episode yeah i suspect so um the the density of this prose is so off the scale that the prose itself almost reads the same as a synopsis because it's just every line is some major thing that's really hard to just skip over yeah yeah and there's like there's there's there you're absolutely right there's so much going on here and and even with this extra long episode, I think there's no hope in hell of us covering every single beat of it. Um, before we dive into it, there's a couple things I wanted to say generally, which is this arc as, as the conflict between our heroes and Scion kind of comes to its climax. We're, we're seeing an, an internal conflict the entire time between Taylor and her shard and the queen administrator. And, we see her move along the spectrum of Taylor's in control all the way to that other side. And the prose throughout each and every one of these chapters has to do that, has to show us that this is Taylor, has to show us that this is the person that we've been reading about for a million and a half words now, but also show us this subtle changes. And the fact that Wild Bo is able to do this, able to show this subtle, slow change in, because we're in Taylor's head. So as she changes, the pro style has to change too. And it can't happen all at once. It's not a, a light switch. It's a slow, subtle move. And the fact that he's able to do this in a convincing way to where you might pick up on it and you might not. And there's parts like going through and reading it a second time. There's so many things that are in here that are, are making it very clear what's happening. But of course, you don't really understand it all until you get a little further along in the story. So yeah. I, I just think like we, we can't point out every single moment that this happens in this arc because we'd be here all night but i i just wanted to say at, at the at the top this is incredible writing the the skill at which this took to pull off in a way that was satisfying to the readers is is basically walking a tightrope and i i love it yeah i think that's one of the reasons why this is definitely the part of the story that i've read the most times um i, I think that this i don't know i always say everything is my favorite but this is probably one of my favorite arcs perhaps my favorite and and i think this is one of the best endings of of anything really and i don't i don't think i'm being like unduly hyperbolic there in my worm review all those all those months or years ago one of the main things i said about worm is that it has a, a really good ending and kind of bemoaned the fact that so many things that i do love don't have really good endings like there's a lot of things that I love that actually have crap endings. So I, I was shocked and, and 
absolutely delighted to find that the story that I was enjoying so much actually stuck the landing because you come to appreciate how hard that is when you read a lot of fiction and you see authors fail to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my favorite author is Stephen King and he is notoriously awful at endings. And it's, yeah. it's, it's not just a label that got thrown at him. It is something that is true. Every single one of the books I've read, I've been like, well, I, I, okay, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that you're right. That's not the case here. Everything, everything comes together. Like it, our themes, our characters, everything folds into this just perfect moment. And, and it's not just one single moment. It's moment after moment after moment. There's big, like, story-wide thematic uh like landings being done throughout this entire arc like to to a level that is insane like to even pick a favorite part of this arc out i think would be near impossible because there are just so so many of them and we are going to try to cover all that uh as best as we can yeah but this is this is you're absolutely right it's incredible and, and i wish we had the time to cover each and every beat in with the amount of detail um, that it deserves, but we, we just can't. But I I, yeah. I I just want to make sure at the top we covered the writing, the prose. Um, it, it's it's so good. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I have I have more things I could I could say at this point, but I think I'll find a place to say them in the course <laughs> yeah. of the episode. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. For now, um, uh, we have some quick announcements regarding uh, Patreon. Yeah, um, so you you wanted to cover that? Yeah. Sure, sure. I just wanted to really quick. Um, we've been getting a lot of questions in the Discord. I think we got some messages today via the Patreon tool itself um, about what's going on with us and Patreon. Um, for those of you that don't know, Patreon announced they're changing the uh, their their method of collecting fees. They announced this, this. I think it was Thursday of last week. Um, they told us about twenty four hours before they told everyone else. Uh, so we didn't really have any time to plan for it or really, really time to dive into exactly what it meant for both us and for patrons. Um, but th- there has been a pretty, pretty sizable backlash to what Patreon has done here. Um, I'm not happy with how they've rolled out the information. I'm not, not happy with how they've responded to criticism in that they haven't. They've been silent basically since they launched this thing. Um, so I just want to let you guys, our patrons know, and, and anyone that's, that's considering becoming a patron in the future, we are looking into this. We are kind of in a holding pattern, seeing what Patreon is going to do to respond to this. Unfortunately, right now, there are not a lot of other options for this kind of service. Patreon is successful because they are really the only one. Um, I know Kickstarter is, is launching their own, but that is not open to everyone yet. That is invite only. Um, some people have been asking us, if we have like a PayPal link, we can give we, people, yeah, we, which we do. Yeah, we, we, we do. Yeah. You can find it on our site and we can provide yeah. it too. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. It's also at dailyplantfilms.com. Um, yeah. So, so we completely understand everyone's frustration with this. We're frustrated too. Um, we're going to kind of figure out what this is going to look like in the end. And right now we don't really have anywhere else to go. Um, but we are definitely monitoring it and we just didn't want to, we just didn't want to let it sit there without at least addressing it to you guys. So, um, if you have any more questions about any of that, reach out to us at, at gotwormpot at gmail.com and, uh, and we'll try to answer those the best we can. But right now we're just kind of, the, the, the new changes don't kick in for another six days and we're kind of hoping Patreon, uh, makes an announcement and maybe adjusts what they're planning on doing a little bit before then, but we'll see. Yeah, or, or at least clarify their reasoning. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's my problem with it is I'm like, 
Yeah. Mm, okay. It's a, it's very yeah. complicated. I've read so many articles about exactly what's going on and what it means and what's the, the seedy underbelly of the meaning that some people are guessing versus what other people are guessing. It's all very, very complex. But um, yeah, I think everyone can agree they could have rolled this out better and and they could have responded to criticism a little better. I've, I've yeah. watched a lot of my fellow creators um, tweet about how many patrons they're losing because of this. And Patreon remains silent about it. And it's frustrating because I really like the service. I like the company. Um, they've been great to us. Um, and they've provided a way to for you guys to help support us and, and us to interact with you guys in a in a very fluid kind of way. So I hope I hope they they do some damage control here. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I think they'll get it sorted out. I think yeah. in a couple of weeks we'll all be we'll all be uh, past this. I hope so. I really do. All right, that's that's it for announcements this week. Uh, I don't think, Matt, we're going to do any comments questions. Like we said, this is a double, triple stuffed episode. Um, we want to get all of our analysis in here in a timely manner. And uh, we do have a mailbag episode coming up in a couple weeks. So if you have uh, anything that, that you didn't feel we addressed, we can try to answer it there. So yeah, let's, right. let's do it. Let's get into it. All right, this. so diving on in, 30.1. Taylor has asked Panacea to unleash her power. And the first thing we know as this chapter opens up is I didn't trigger. She thinks to herself. Yeah. And I actually thought this is it's a pretty great way to start. And it, I think it goes into Taylor's kind of mindset as she made this decision um, because she was told in the last arc over and over again, Hey Taylor, you've, you've probably already had a second trigger. Um, third triggers and fourth triggers are not possible. We've never seen that. And yet, the first thing she thinks after making this decision was, well, I didn't trigger. That's what I wanted to do. And I didn't, I didn't trigger. Um, and I'm just like, Taylor, like, what, like, I'm really curious. She, she makes this decision and she does this. And she's kind of supported by the fact that she, th- she has decided that this is what Dinah was leading her to all along. Um, but what does she really think is going to happen here? Because I don't think, I don't think what she expects to happen in this moment is I'm going to be able to control capes now. Um, I just think she was desperate for more power and was willing to get it any way she could, not really thinking about what the actual consequences or what, what the, that actual power would be. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're exactly right. And I think it actually bears some digging into because uh, we, we saw her sort of not so subtly eager to get more power for the whole the whole uh, previous arc. Um it, it's been a subtle theme with her all along that she can't have anyone on her level. She, she kind of has to be in charge all the time. Yeah. She can't handle, she can't handle authority. She can't handle people telling her what to do. So the idea has, with her has always been, I need, I need control. I need power. I need to be, I need to be in a position where other people can't hurt me. And what that means is I need to have power over them. And, and she's done that as as skitter and she's sort of done that as as weaver and uh here she she doesn't i think it's you know thematically beautiful that her power is literally control people but i think whatever (laughs) whatever it was she wanted it it was something strong enough that she could you know lead 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 the battle basically she wanted to be strong enough that she could take the fight to sion and lead the fight and maybe she imagined that she would be you know, someone strong enough to actually turn the tide of the battle and then other people would follow behind her. And I don't think she pictured it being the way it ended up, but, uh, 
thematically and in, in terms of what her power was originally, I think this is perfectly fitting. No, yeah, I completely agree with that. But I also think that there's no way that controlling those people was ever on her mind. So it's like, what, like at this point, what is if if you're not thinking that this is on the table, what is increasing of bug control power? Like how much better control of your <laughs> bugs can you have at this point? Like right. is maybe range increase? Like her range is already pretty good, but how would more bugs help in this? Like there, there's, I don't think she knows what, like what kind of power would actually be useful in the battle against scion it's just she needs it she needs to know that she's done everything she can and she has every inch of power she has she can she can possibly get and the fact that she knows there is power out there that is blocked off to her in some kind of way drives her crazy because it's like it's like the idea of losing without being at full power is something that taylor cannot tolerate and it doesn't matter what the consequences of that are she just has to go for it yeah, like she said at the end of the last arc to to Lung, like I I can't just sit back and and be a bystander to this just because my power doesn't you know let me. So right. she's she's willing to take this huge risk even though she doesn't even know why exactly she's taking it. Yep, yep. Yeah. So as we know, uh, Panacea has removed the limits on Taylor's power, and her sensation of her power immediately warps. Her range and her control both plummet. And it's not just her power that's changing either. Taylor herself is changing in other ways, small and hard to notice at first, um, but we'll see more of them over time. She begins to feel flashes of intense emotions that don't fully make sense in the moment. Guilt, shame, loneliness, fears of confinement, the feeling of being taunted. <laughs> this is this is one of those moments where I think it's really great to get to go back and really study the text on on a second read through, because knowing what you know after you finish reading this arc, you look back and you see we know what's going on here now. We know that her her shard um, uses her memories as clues on to tap into other people's powers and and to communicate with Taylor about how uh, other parahumans work. And so we see that, that that's what's happening here. She's she's tapping into memories that have to do with Panacea and how Panacea is feeling and how Panacea's power work works. And and it just like. So much of this arc is laid out so well, and it's so much of it is information that Taylor cannot understand, but we, even though we're in her head, are kind of just far back enough to where we can, and like we talked about at the top, I think that's a, a, a example of like a great narrative control and structural control, and I, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, I think the, what was cool to me about this part was that the first time I read it, it, it was like, it was like, oh no, she's she's made this deal with the devil and, and she's, she's just, she's going to lose her power entirely. Her power is going to be nothing. And it hadn't occurred to me yet because I, you know, read the book wrong that, that her power would change into something entirely different. I was just like, Oh, her range, her range is dropping. Her control is dropping. This is, this is terrible. This is like even worse than before. I was, I was like really anxious about that fact. Um, of course you find out what's really going on pretty quickly, but uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to remember, even though it was only a week ago, I don't, I don't think I can remember the exact moment where it keyed into me that, oh, this is what's happening. She is getting the power to control people. And, and which is surprising considering I kind of had guessed that a couple times yeah. going into this. I, I, that, I felt that that's where it was going. I kind of, I think the canary, uh, can control people thing kind of misdirected me a little bit. Um, so that it didn't quite work the way I imagined it, but I can't remember exactly when I, I realized it. It was probably when the text specifically kind of declares it to you, but. Um, I just think that was really well done. 
Yeah, I don't remember either. It was probably somewhere in, in the time where uh, they they start trying to get fantasy out of her range. Yeah, but uh, p- fairly quickly. Yeah, um, yeah. So so at first though, you know, we're kind of getting out of ourselves. She she can't move or speak at first. She's just kind of shaking. Her heart is pounding. Her breath is coming out in, in irregular huffs, and and she's she's it's kind of can't talk. So she thinks at panacea, I need control, and then her range drops even further. Uh, and then she drives Panacea off with some of her bugs. And thus begins the first of 7,000 what-have-you-done-Taylor moments <laughs> that follow us in this arc. Um, like, yeah, like, I, I know people throughout, like, asked for my live experience of, um, like, a video camera on me while reading um, that's outside of what I do in my, my live tweets. But it was just be me basically saying out loud, like, uh, like imagine me, like, huddled in the corner, like rocking back and forth, kind of exactly like Amy in this moment, and saying, "What did you do, Taylor? What, what did you do?" Because that's that's kind of how I felt throughout all this. Yeah, yeah. So then Tattletail enters and immediately cops to the situation, and uh, she gives quite a little speech here, which is which is a wonderful character moment for her. But I'm just going to snip out um, a little bit. While I'm saying all this, kiddo, you got to know I love you. I adore you, warts and all. You saved me as much as I like to think I saved you. All this stuff I'm bitching about, it's the same stuff that got us through some pretty hairy shit. And I love you for it as much as I've grown about it. You're brilliant and you're reckless and you care too much about people in general when I really wish you'd leave things well enough alone and be selfish. But this, this, shit, Tattletale said, you gotta forgive me just this once. Because seeing this and knowing what you pulled hurts enough that I gotta say this. This makes me feel really sorry for your dad because I'm starting to get a sense of what you put him through. Fucking burn, Matt. Burn. Um, yeah, I, like, I don't know. I don't know what else to say besides this is this is wonderful. We, you and I, have talked throughout this project over and over again how how the undersiders kind of served as enablers to Taylor's behavior and how Lisa was like the most exemplified example of that. Um, I just said exemplified example. That's, that's, that's what happens. It works. That's what happens. Um, but like Lisa's trauma is basically designed around the fact that she's like terrified of pushing someone too far. She doesn't want to push someone away. She doesn't want someone to leave or else she's convinced that they will hurt themselves or, or, or something like that. So she's never really pushed against Taylor. Like we've seen her do it once or twice where, and then she kind of backed off almost as soon as she did it. So this is a moment where she's just finally so fed up where she just can't hold back anymore. And she, she still even prefaces it. She's like, look, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say mean things to you right now, but just know I still love you, but what the fuck are you doing? And and this is great. Like it's, it's, it's She's finally not holding back here. Yeah. On some level, she's fed up, and on another level, she's basically saying, "Well, now you've torn it. Like, there's yeah. there's no there's no going back from from this choice right. that you've made." So, I, I've been like on some level, I think she knows. I mean, she has this power. I think she knows she's lost Taylor in this yeah, moment. I think you're right, and and she's she's venting because she's like feels that she failed on some level. I think. Yeah. Well, and and as we'll see, there she's still. She knows Taylor well enough and, and with her power that she knows that this is going to lead to a situation that's going to force her to choose between her friend and everyone else. 
And that is frustrating as hell for her because, like you said, she loves her. She loves her. She wants to protect her. She wants to go along with her. And she wants to be on her side. But Taylor continually makes unilateral decisions that makes that really, really tough. Um, the part of the speech we didn't put in here is when she says things like, like, you never ask for help. You never ask for help. Sometimes you ask for people to do things for you, like when you ask for Amy to do this or when you had me help your preparation to leave the Undersiders. But you've already made up your mind in that moment. You've already made the choice and you're just forcing people to respond to that. And it's so true. She, she, like, she always acts on her own by herself without the help of the people that, that she cares about and that care about her. Always. Yeah. Yeah. She never really needs advice. She just, she just processes yeah. it on, on her own. Yeah. And that's, that's her nature. Yeah. Yep. So she begins to wonder, Taylor begins to wonder why she's crying, why she's feeling all these strange emotions that, that aren't quite hers. Bonesaw takes the opportunity to flee and returns with Marquis and some of his cronies. Marquis, uh, having had the situation explained by Bonesaw, even though we still don't know what's happening, uh, nails her in the chest with a bone ram and shoves her back against the wall of the cave and then drags Panacea and Lung away from her. Everybody freaks out for a while, um, giving us plenty of time to stew before what I think is is the final official reveal. Yeah, and and like I said before, this is really, really enjoyable getting to go back and reread it for our preparation for the podcast after the reveal is given, like to, to see kind of exactly how Wildbo constructs the scene to make everything that is happening kind of clear, clear to the, the, the actors in the scene, but not clear enough that we, the reader, and by extension, Taylor, don't fully extend. Um, yeah. understand. And, and, and I, I know we've said it a lot of times in this podcast, but his, his greatest skill, I think, is how he plays with structure and how he, he constructs the scene, um, knowing when to reveal information and when to not and how to reveal it in a way that's not revealing. Yeah. Right. There's little choices like having it be like Bonesaw immediately figures out what's going on. Yeah. And but then she runs out of the room and explains it to other characters out of out of our earshot. So little little things like that. I, right. I love. Um, I like this this moment where uh, Tell, uh, Telltale says to to Panacea, "This time you got consent before you screwed someone up beyond your ability to fix it." And then Panacea snarls, "I'll fucking kill you." <laughs> I think I think this is a great moment, and you're right; it's small, but it gets it gets to the root of what Taylor's rash decision making actually does. Um, Again, I think we need to remind everyone here that Taylor made this decision completely unaware about what the outcome would be. Um, she had no idea that this was actually going to give her the key to winning the fight against Sion. It is, in the end, um, but but Taylor makes this action with this willingness to sacrifice herself. Like, I don't care if this gives me enough power, I'll roll the dice, I'll be willing to sacrifice myself. But what she fails to consider, as she always does, is what the consequence will be for not just herself, but for those around her. And I'm not just talking about making the entire world her body slaves. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But in this moment, I'm talking about what this did mentally to Panacea. Because Amy had made all this progress throughout the book. She'd, she'd been in, in uh, the birdcage, and she'd actually been finding herself and finding who she was and kind of reconstructing herself as a human being after the terrible thing she did. And then she's out, and a couple days with Taylor <laughs> and she forces her back into another corner and forces her to make a choice and, and break one of her rules 
yes, for the greater good, as we'll see later, but but now we kind of see Panacea it destroyed again. Like all the progress she's made is gone now. Um and and again we she it's not we don't know that it's actually for in the end a successful a successful plan. Like there is no plan here at this moment. Yeah. It's interesting how it's set up, I think, because first she asks Bonesaw, and it, you know, it's set up in this way where you have both Bonesaw and Panacea here, and they're probably, for all we know, the only two people in the world who could do such a thing. Yeah. She asks Bonesaw first because she thinks Panacea wouldn't do it. And then Panacea kind of sees that it's going to happen anyway and is like, look, I can, if, if you're going to do this, I can probably do a better job. Um, so, so I'm going to do it. So Panacea does make the decision. Like, I don't think we want to take away her decision because she could have just no. been like nope not gonna break rule again because i know better than that but she breaks her rule again i mean from, from from her point of view giving her full agency she breaks her rule again and it's sort of i mean it's complicated because it's it's a terrible choice um in the sense that she makes another monster and breaks another person but uh she saves the world so right <laughs> which, which re- reflects taylor's decision yeah um, yeah, absolutely. And and you're you're right. I don't want to take that agency away from from Panacea. She was not forced to do this. She was kind of backed into a corner, but the de- the final decision was hers. You're absolutely right. Um and I think I think maybe in this moment she just thought she finally had enough of a handle on herself, enough of a a, a level of comfort with who she was and what she was that she felt like she could handle this. And uh she was wrong. And I think that also reflects Taylor who has a level like, I think I can handle this. I think I have control over this, which is a beat that she will repeat many times throughout this arc um, that we will see is increasingly false as we go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good point. Yeah. So Taylor tries to speak to Marquis finally and finds that she can't speak. She just sort of mumbles something unintelligible. This pushes the others even more towards seeing her as a threat. Marquis decides that they'll go back to Gimmel, leave her here until they, they figure out how to deal with her. Tuttletail argues against leaving her alone. Yeah. And I think this is the first instance we kind of really get of Taylor's descent here. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's that taking her most powerful weapon away from her. Like all throughout this book, Taylor has been convinced that if she could just sit people down and explain to them, they'd be on her side. They would understand. And it doesn't matter that this really in, in practice never actually seemed to work. It's what she believed. And now in her quest for power here, that ability has been stripped from her. That that ability to communicate has been stripped from her. And as we'll see, it it's only it's only going to get worse. Um, yeah. And, and and the part I liked most here is when Taylor realizes that everyone's talking about her like she's not even there. Um, that they're like like they're they're talking amongst each other about her, but not to her anymore. And it's just like she's already kind of becoming an other, a thing, and not Taylor anymore. Yeah. Yeah, um, we, we've talked before about her being kind of naive, and, and I think one aspect of that is she actually, for all the fact that she's, you know, a pessimistic person, I think she's an optimist when it comes to human nature in a, in a certain way. Like she always believes that you should be able to get everyone on the same page. Like it's it's theoretically possible, even though she's never seen any evidence of it happening in her entire life. Yeah, she feels like you should be able to get everyone to work together. If everyone would just put their egos aside and put their petty squabbles aside, et cetera, which, and, which really and is, is kind of, yeah. And listen to me, right. Which is sort of naive and sort of like blinded, you know, 
blinkered to to the truth of human nature and to the fact that she is committing the same sin that she's accusing everyone else of every time she does that. But right. but yeah, it's um now that option is taken away from her entirely. And I mean, we're going to get into this, but she essentially gives up on it. She she gives up on that that hope that that vision of human nature. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's also like we'll talk about this as we go, but it's kind of um, an excuse to go forward because as as the other options, what she did here is kind of force her own hand to one option. It's it's the only option left to her is to go forward as these things, these important parts about her are slowly stripped away. Yep, yep. So as Canary walks off, um, she gives Taylor a little pep talk relating how she went a little crazy when the changes from Cauldron's potion didn't deliver what she hoped. This is a real just moment of of honest kindness from Canary that I'm sure will be almost instantly repaid in in kind. It's just, she'll just get paid back in kindness, right? Yeah, in this universe, I'm sure. <laughs> so she, Taylor makes her move when Marcus turns his back. She shoots through the bone fork holding her against the wall and uses her flight back move around the perimeter of the cave as Marquis armors himself in bone and fills the room with a dendritic tree of bone. She stopped just before reaching him, but her range does reach Canary. Yep. Thanks for your kind words, Canary. I will now take control of your body and use you for my own aims. Thanks. Yep. yep. Yeah. I'm sure <laughs> you were, you were offering yourself to me, right? Canary. That yeah, was what that's that was what it was. Yep. So Canary is still wearing this badass power armor. So she's able to shrug off Marquis's restraints and smash through the bone wall. Yeah, and this is this next part is what I was talking about here. That as Taylor truly realizes what her power is, this ability to control other capes, she almost immediately realizes what that means, and we do kind of at the same time. Um, she says here, the only thing scarier than the fact than the fact that um, she was feeling disconnected from herself was the knowledge that it was only going to get worse. This was my tool. This is what I've sacrificed my body, mind, range, and control to obtain. 16 paltry feet of range. And so so this this moment here is really a, I've crossed the line now. I can't go back. I gave up all this stuff for this tool and this tool alone, and therefore I have to use it. There is no other choice on the table. Yep. Yeah. So as she stands, she finds her body increasingly hard to control already. She's losing a lot to this process, and it's not going to get better from here. Lung keeps her from getting control of Marquis, but ultimately Canary throws Taylor through the doormaker portal and she falls within reach of everyone on the other side. <laughs> Thanks for all the help and kind words, Canary. Now I will leave you behind on this other earth. Um, yeah. I, I, for some reason, I, I like imagine this very cinematically as like everyone seeing her and then she's hurled through into their midst and then they're just like standing there and yep. she kind of gets her gets up and dusts herself off with all them surrounding her completely paralyzed yeah yeah it, and and you wildbo kind of has a little fun here i think with with some of these these sentences because um yeah. there's this this beat here where we get where he says i could i could see myself through their eyes each image was slightly distorted just different enough to be uncanny and out of sync i had more awareness of myself through them than i had with my own eyes um, and this is this is great because you and I have talked about over and over again throughout this book that Taylor never really saw herself the way others did, never really saw how she came off, what she looked like, um, how people felt about her when she was around. It was something it was a disconnect for her. And 
for the first time in this book, we're seeing Taylor through other people's eyes. We're, we're seeing Taylor see herself through other people's eyes. And of course, we do this in a way that's reminiscent of how bugs see, because that's just too perfect to do it. Um, but I, I really like that beat. I had more awareness of myself through them than I had with my own eyes. And this, like, this is just a perfect way of kind of saying that, that thing that we've talked about throughout this whole thing, that, that Taylor is never fully, truly aware of herself. And it kind of goes to support the unreliable narrator thing that we've talked about so many times. Taylor is, it takes looking at her from the outside to see the truth of who she is. And, and, and in this moment, we kind of see that she's, she's aware of that now. And she's aware that she's kind of a monster and she's just fully embracing that. And and she gets to see it through other people's eyes. Yeah. I think it's not coincidental that she makes this gradual slide toward being a monster as she's able to see herself because um, she, she becomes increasingly disconnected from herself and increasingly connected to, others perceptions of her yeah um which which do basically depict her as a monster and so she it's kind of a feedback loop in that sense yep yep um there's there's a bit later on that we'll get to where it she literally talks about how the brain creates that feedback loop but uh, we'll get there so she moves beyond this group not attempting to control them any further and then she takes to the sky when rachel and imp return with a number of wounded tattletail gets imp and rachel up to speed on what's going on and there's this moment where the first thing Rachel does upon learning of this is to step within Taylor's range. And then Taylor basically just forces her to step back out. Mm. Rachel grunted. Why the fuck would you do that? Tattletail asked. Because she trusts me far too much, I thought. She's smarter than I am, Rachel said. Let her do what she needs to do. Oh, Matt. Not even this. Not even this can break Rachel from her love of Taylor. She yeah. is the loyal puppy to her best friend. And and in, in the midst of all this horror that we're seeing, this is a, a just a beautiful moment that almost brings me to tears. The level of friendship in Rachel here. We've talked about how wonderful her arc has been throughout the course of this book. And we see it here that even this, she's with her till the end. And I, I like I like that that moment very much, but hidden in here is Taylor's realization because she doesn't just say she's doing it because Rachel trusts me. She says it's because she trusts me far too much. And this isn't just self-deprecation for the sake of it. Taylor knows now what she's going to have to do. And she knows that, or she thinks that uh, Rachel probably shouldn't be trusting her in this moment. Shouldn't be trusting her with what she's willing to do because she's going to have to do some, pretty horrible things before the day is done and she knows it yeah yeah from from this point on i think her mind is made up i think she's already i don't yep. think her plan is fully fleshed out at this exact moment no um i think but and that's another interesting thing we're not seeing the wheels turn in her head we know at a certain point that she has her plan well well and firmly in mind but we're, but we're not seeing that part of her thought process and that's i think that's a very appropriate use of you know dramatic irony or, or whatever yeah and, and, yeah and and you know it's so funny because you and i talked about that so much about hiding information from the reader um to make a re- good reveal moment and how i don't like when stories do that um uh, one of the first complaints i gave about this book was when we kind of hide the arms master conversation to do this this cliffhanger 
Um, but that is not what this is. Like that is not what this is at all. And, and the plan is being hidden because I don't think Taylor is really conscious of it. And, and you can argue that maybe it's, while Taylor is still in control of herself as right now, it's kind of the queen administrator that's running the background stuff that she's running the plan. Therefore she's not going to think it in her internal narrative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, she's already not thinking super clearly, although she hasn't started getting the, the really strong glitches yet. So I think it's entirely plausible that she's moving almost instinctively at this point or, or, or rather from motivations that are coming up from her passenger. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so then she flies off mentally, wishing the undersiders farewell. Yep, and uh, there it is. She she they had, she promised she'd never leave them behind again. They promised each other that, and then here here she's doing it because she feels like she has to. And that's that's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. That's it. The, the next time she sees this guy, these guys, she will not even be able to understand them. Yep. Yeah. So thirty dot two. As she approaches the ongoing battle against Sion, it's clear that the defending forces have been routed. Sion is still angry, still attacking viciously, still venting his anger, and never really registering damage himself. So, so the morale is crushed. It's not going too well. Yeah, so things are things are going great. Okay. Yeah, right. So Taylor begins to have thoughts that aren't her own. She figures that it's her, her passenger orienting towards Sion because Sion is an enemy and that's all the passengers really understand. Yeah. And then we're in the next chapter now. So like, like I said, I think you can look at this entire arc as like you put Taylor in 30.1, you put queen administrator in 30.7 and each and every chapter is her slowly moving along that spectrum. So we're in the second chapter now and we're starting to see thoughts that aren't her own. Um, and the passenger almost imperceptibly take control. And yeah. it's so wonderfully doled out to us. Yeah. I, I really like this, uh, this bit where she's, she's thinking and she thinks the hell am I supposed to do? The memory was so clear. I could almost hear my own voice. Had that anger ever really gone away? And the, the anger she's referring to is this sort of anger at the whole world for letting her down. Uh, if mm-hmm. do you agree that that's a characterization of kind of she, she's always, yes, she's, she's always been this violent, person you know setting aside shards and whatever she's always had this anger inside her and mm-hmm. it's the kind of anger that she's sublimated into into a drive um to to protect herself and to protect other people but i think i think that anger really has been at the core of her this whole time yeah it's never gone away it's it never has and she like we, we've talked about she's made progress she's learned how to deal with it in certain ways um but it was never enough um, it yeah. was always there under the surface. Right. So she drops down into the battle and takes over a bonsai tinker and a disc cape of some kind. <laughs> um, her control over their bodies is quite poor and her understanding of their powers is, is very weak and takes a long time to establish, but this won't remain the case for long. Yeah. And I, I love these character moments that we take the time to show that at the beginning she is having trouble with this and, um, the, the the escalation of her her ability to handle this power is done slowly and deliberately and in a way that's logical and makes sense and I think it's really really well done. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she, she kind of changes her view of it, and I, I like this. Their powers were a part of them, like the venom was part of a spider or centipede, or web was part of the spiders I controlled. I had to take it in without getting caught up in analyzing it, trusting the passenger to handle the essential details on autopilot. 
Yeah. Um, so it's kind of showing, it's just kind of showing more concretely how she's gradually going from like, okay, this is just kind of a mess of like weird memories and sensations and, and stuff to trusting the passenger, which should come with a big like flashing warning light. <laughs> but I also, I also don't think she could do it without, but like the human brain is not designed to do this. So, no. so yes, on some level she has to, to let the passenger do its thing. But in the end, I think that just gives the passenger more leeway. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's also a good way to understand how, like, while yes, this is a slow, deliberate process of her learning how this works. She also links it back to the thing that she understands more than anything, which is her bugs. Right. So, so she's, she's, orients herself to look at this in the same way that she controlled her bugs. So you, there's already a base level of understanding there. She's like, oh, I can treat this just like I would treat um, the venom that was in my spiders that I forever have been able to consciously either inject or not inject when I needed to. So suddenly mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, like it, it, you relate this back to a thing you do understand and that allows you to get a grasp on it sooner than someone who was just starting out that had never had to do stuff like this before. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, Acid Bath, a terrible cape nearby, approves of her use of human shields. Yeah, nothing like a, a monstrous, terrible former birdcage psychopath to remind you of how awesome and, and morally perfect you're behaving, right? Right, Matt? Right? Yeah, no, totally not an intentional uh, contrast. No, yeah. And, and also totally not setting up a moment later where she makes a choice regarding Acid Bath specifically. That, yeah further emphasizes this point yeah so she scoops up a number of nearby capes she's she's able to shrug off the fear that she feels through them and then she uses the botany tinker to disperse medicine across the battlefield and uh, then she blinks her group away using the teleporter before cyan can attack them and the swarm begins to grow well one of the things i want to make sure we focus on as we go through this and i think the book does a pretty good job of of forcing us to focus on it is it's very easy to lose track of her swarm as it continues to grow, because I think Taylor herself lose, loses track of the individuals within it. Um, this is kind of a microcosm of what we talked about with Cauldron, how they eventually lost track of the individual humans and, and humanity in what they were doing. Taylor does very much the same. Um, as the swarm grows, the individual matters less. But we have to remember that these are people. These are human beings, and they're, they are literally connected to Taylor's brain here. Uh, whatever she feels, they feel and vice versa and her passenger as as it, if that that's the truth then as her passenger is making her remember certain memories certain terrible traumatic memories that she has in order to to communicate with her um they're kind of feeling those things too and i, I like i just it, we have to keep track of this as we go like we can't just treat this as oh we're just we've just drafted soldiers we've just yeah. scripted soldiers in our 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 army this is not the same thing yeah, and she actually forgets about it to the extent that it comes as a shock to her much later on right? Um, when there's actually a consequence to this. Yeah, so Vastigwenye approaches, reassuring her that uh, she will come to fully master her new powers with practice. She also warns the queen administrator not to try to control her. Then she goes into a speech about how she's actually become worried because Sion has been overtaken by a destructive rage that makes recovering the cycle even less likely. And she says, the Teferi are creatures of whimsy, aren't they? Easily influenced by the masks they wear. It's the whole point of them, isn't it, Administrator? It's why they are, yes. I love that quote. I love it. Yeah. Um, we've been talking so much about how human beings are influenced by their passenger. Uh, more prone to violence, escalation. 
we never really stopped to think about the other side of that equation, how shards are influenced by the people that they inhabit. And this, of course, in the end, ends up being the key to everything, the key to defeating Scion. And and it makes sense. It's just another reflection of the masks we put on influencing who we are. It's true for humans, but it's true for these shards, too. Yeah, yeah. I think that's definitely something to talk about closer toward the end, also, when we see how uh, how her shard is behaving. Yeah, yeah. So the Fairy Queen offers her a partnership, which I think is very interesting. Queens of the Living and the Dead. Taylor shakes her head. She has something else that she needs to do. Um, you know, but I think it's more than just that. It's not just that she has a different mission. It's, it's that Taylor doesn't do partners. Taylor has to be the one in charge. Even if she could trust Elastic Wenye, which she can't, there would no be, there would not be a partnership. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think you're spot on. There's, there's only one Lord of the Capes, Matt, and she does not share power. My, like, I think I'm like six for six on Lord of the Rings references in yeah. this podcast. We're doing great. So we can, so we can fit in some more. So Glastic Winye gives her the final advice. She will need an anchor to keep her mentally secured. Taylor already knows what her anchors are. And so do we, I think. She doesn't even have to think about it consciously. Yeah, it's a pretty great beat. Like, the most important thing to her continued survival in this thing. And Taylor's like, I got it. I don't even need to think about it. I got it. Don't worry about it. I've been doing that forever. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, like... I, we do. We do know what Taylor thinks her anchors are. And I think we also kind of know what they actually are. And it's something that takes Taylor quite a while to realize, or at least at least the uh, the order of importance of her anchors um, changes as she goes. Yeah. So she teleports to the staging area where dragon can be found and escapes the dragon's tooth guards by teleporting her way inside the Pendragon. Um, so she... Uh, <laughs> she thinks to herself that the um the dragon sea soldiers should recognize her and then realizes unless they couldn't seeing myself through the teleporter's eyes i was a little surprised that the sheer number of bugs i accumulated which makes me chuckle because this, this is i think one of the last times we see this beat where she <laughs> she is surprised at how terrifying she appears because it just doesn't occur to her yeah uh taylor please never change Wait, no, just kidding. Please change. Oh, my God. Stop. Stop what you're doing. Taylor, change right now. <laughs> no, don't change that way. No. It's, it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> Taylor offers her a laptop. Sorry, Dragon offers her a laptop to use, and Taylor realizes with horror that she can't read anymore. Her first escape, her, her solace, is gone. Yeah, this... I, I don't know if it's because I read a lot, <laughs> um, but this hit me really hard. Um, it, it's a really devastating consequence as a person who also uses reading as a kind of escape. When you're having a shitty day or you're you're having a tough time, you can escape into a book, and yeah. it sucks. And I, but it also is an, another step on her methods of communication being stripped away from her and removed. She can't talk uh, now. She can't read. Uh, what's what's next? Other other things. Other worse things yeah. are next. I think th that's one of the reasons this hit me really hard was that, you know, it takes two points to make a line. And th the fact that she couldn't talk, you're like, oh, okay, so she traded her ability to talk for, for this power. All right, I, I got it. Now she's lost another thing. And, and, and that hits you because you're like, oh, this is not over. She's, right. 
she's deteriorating quite rapidly actually. And this is going to get worse before it gets better, which it's not. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, like, like any good three beat, the second beat kind of indicates that you're not done. Yes, I agree. That's, that's true. That's what this is doing. Yeah. So she tries to indicate to dragon that she needs the information on teacher's location. She pulls off her mask to look dragon in the eye to try to persuade her. It's the only way to show dragon the tailor is still herself. Mostly dragon at least gets the impression that it's weaver and not skitter or somebody else asking for the information. Then she gets information on the CUI and then the birdcage. So I want to talk about this because she's trying to communicate to dragon. Like I'm I'm not going to do anything crazy. I'm still the person that you trust. I'm still a, a good person. Just give me this information and nothing terrible will happen. But, She's just lying, right? She's insinuating the dragon that she's not going to use her power on these people, but she's totally planning to. She's like, that's, this immediately goes to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think she very specifically says, or, or, or at least motions in this moment that she is not planning on using her power. She's not going to do that. Yeah. She's, she's lying to the only kind of mother figure that she has left. Dragon's been this kind of motherly figure to her throughout um, the latter half of this book. And she is flat out lying to her. And it, it, it's really, yeah, it's really sad. It's really disappointing. And it's kind of, that relationship is only going to get worse as, as we'll see here in the next chapter. Yep. So, uh, she leaves and then she swings by the Seamurg before moving on just <laughs> to check that she can't control the Endbringer. Eh, might as well. Just, uh, yeah. Just swoop get, in there. Kind of harkens back to when she was disappointed that the, that, uh, Seamurg didn't follow her. Follow yeah. Tattletail. Yeah. Just got to get back. Just got to take that Seamurg back. I always wanted it. Yeah. It's my second yeah. opportunity. Nope. Still can't do it. I should have that power. <laughs> yeah. So um, she swings by to talk to Tattletail for a second. Taylor, uh, Tattletail says, Taylor, if you go ahead with this, the people and people start catching on, you become public enemy number two. <laughs> so fucking ominous. I like, like, <laughs> she's like, by the way, people are going to hate you almost as much as they hate Scion right now. And she yeah, doesn't even really stop to consider it. Like she's, like you said, she's already made up her mind. Yeah, we're so in her head, especially in her head for this part of the story, that it's hard to break out of that and put yourself in the perspective of um, anyone else, really. Because from from her point of view, like especially if you're if you're like going with the story, you're like, yes, if anybody's going to pull this out, it's going to be Taylor. So I want her, I want her to grab every cape in the world and kick his ass. But if you're anyone else, you're like, Oh God, not only are we fighting this, this world destroying alien that's going to kill us all. But now we have someone whose power just broke and yeah. they're, they're going to get us all killed from, from the other side. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's great. I love that we get hints of that, but we never see it. We didn't talk about this at the top, but the fact that we never break from Taylor's point of view throughout this entire arc, I think is, is masterful and mm-hmm. there's no interlude in this arc. We don't, we stay with her. We never leave her. And I think there, there's a way you could think about this being done in some of the, some of the ways the other ones have that we kind of break this up a little more and we break to show Tattletail's point of view and how she's moving through this, but we don't do that. We, we stick in this point of view. We are with Taylor. Now we are in Taylor's head and we are forced, even as her understanding of what's happening is fading. We are forced in that point of view and we will not break from it. And I think, I think that's great. I think that the commitment to this point of view here at the end is, is great. Yeah. Yeah. Especially 
as it underlines the unreliable narrator thing to a highly exaggerated degree. Right, right, yeah. So now Taylor heads in and grabs the most important capes to her plan, Doormaker and the Clairvoyant. Marquis tries to stop by encasing them in coffins of bone, but she just uses Doormaker's power to bridge her power to where Marquis is standing and then uses the same trick to snag the rest of the capes to attack. So very quickly we kind of get what she's going to be dealing with Doormaker, although this is just, just the minor taste of that. Yeah. Um, and I love that, like, within, I don't know, half an hour of her having this new power, she's already figured out how to circumvent the distance limitation. She's like, ah, oh, the 16 feet, that's kind of a pain in the ass. Ah, uh, wait a minute. Let's just get this, this portal man, and then my power can be everywhere. Yeah. Um, and, she, of course, that will expand and... and escalate to ridiculous levels here in the next chapter but yeah yeah it's it's interesting how cavalierly she just abuses Doormaker and clairvoyant throughout this entire thing right like i get that they're sort of both mentally gone but on the off chance that they aren't they're uh not going to be in good shape after this well and we very very specifically get evidence that Doormaker's power has a limit we'll see it explicitly mm-hmm. and so every time you open a new portal it exhausts some of his reserves and is probably exhausting him just as a person. And she, in the next chapter, she sets up this ever changing, like honeycomb of portals that move, that close and reopen as she walks. And as she turns her head, the whole thing shifts and it's yeah. just like insane. The amount of portals she's making this kid pour out. Right. I wonder if she would have done that if she realized that she was using up a finite supply. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, I don't know. I don't know. Probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, the title tale goes on to say, I'm not getting enough details here to paint a picture. I trust the hell out of you, but I'm not sure this is you, Taylor. And Taylor responds by passing her, her pepper spray canister through a portal. Uh, the pepper spray, this is going to be a a symbol of Taylor's humanity that's going to continue throughout Mm -hmm. the rest of this, this arc. Is it a three beat? I, are there only two? I can't quite remember. Um, I think, I think I only remember seeing it twice in this, in this arc anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, you could count it as the three beat is the fact that she bothers to equip it in the first place. Back uh, back when she went to the oil rig, I believe she's kind of like putting, putting together her suit and she's like, I, she specifically, she specifically gets it as like a token of, of Taylor. The good old days. Yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. specifically her remnant. Yeah, you're right, because she she picks the the weaver part of her, the skitter part of her. The pepper spray itself is is specifically to Taylor, a symbol of Taylor. Um, yes. I'm going to call that beat one in a three beat. I'm, yeah. I'm stretching it because it was a while no, I, ago. But I think um, it I think it is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's setting up and then it's reminding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Taylor takes a little metaphorical walk, mentally traipsing across many of the settings of the story. Brockton Bay, New Delhi, L.A., Bucharest, Madison, Cauldron HQ, and they're all ruins, and they're all home. Oh, what a moment. What a, like, this, the, the way that you can show character, like, show, like, a hint into who the character is by doing stuff like this. Like, she's walking through the shattered remnants of a dead world, and it's not the place that's home. It's not Brockton Bay. It's not Chicago. It's specifically ruins. It's specifically Mm -hmm. the shattered remnants of a dead world are the places that Taylor now feels the most home. And that is heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. What a character. (laughs) No, I know. Yeah. So she also realizes that, um, she's meant that like mentally losing your sense of place isn't normal and that she's slipping 
Um, cause she does, it, it's interesting. She's not actually walking, but like, she's not actually teleporting between these places. At first you think she is, then you realize she's just like mentally losing track of where she actually is. Um, and then she also notices that her body will just like stop walking when her focus drifts away from walking. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah, so she's, she's like the, the individual automated physical movements that we do without thinking about them are, are slowly becoming things that Taylor has to remember to do consciously. Yeah. There's this, this refrain where she'll think slipping, slipping. And basically she's, she's every time she kind of loses control a little bit more, she's slipping. And yet she still always manages to be like, I got it. I got it under control. I got it all on lockdown guys. Just, uh, I got it. Still me somehow. Yeah. So she, she remembers when she was Skitter the warlord, and she had that half cape, half shawl that she wore, uh, the mantle. She makes her own mantle here, a shroud of portals that snap into place around her and fade as she moves on. Hexagonal portals like a beehive to put a touch of tailor on it. And via these portals, she extends her range across the whole city. <laughs> I mean, Matt, Cauldron has had these two guys for years, right? Like, I think we, I think we saw Doormaker was one of the first capes they create. Um, so they've used, they've had decades to kind of how to find out ways to maximize their power, use it the most efficient way possible. Taylor gets them for five minutes and goes, Hmm. Oh, amazing honeycomb. Awesome shell done. I can now see everywhere and do everything. Boom. Done. And it's just like, wow, that's just her toolbox, man. She gets those tools and she finds out the best way of using them. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazingly awesome. I love it. So she uh, spies on teachers' operations. Um, the thralls are all engaged in some project or another, and anything she thinks, I can almost respect it. Except his motives were clearly selfish. <laughs> I laughed out loud when I read this. I mean, like, teacher is a total dickwad. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, he sucks. But this, <laughs> this, this idea of Taylor so quick to judge is like, it's like you're you're controlling your swarm of people. Um, and you're forcing them to all do their individual tasks to to tie into your overall plan, and that's clearly selfish. So I must destroy you. And yeah, uh, I, it's because I need something from you, and uh, my way is the right way, and your way is the wrong way. You're not helping yeah. me specifically, ergo, you're against me. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even sure if there's any evidence that what he's doing is selfish. I think it, it's. I don't know if we know whether this is true or not, but it's highly plausible that he's just doing something off to the side to try to yeah. to help with the scion um actually i think he tells us I, th- I think what he's i think this is all kind of asynchronous this is actually before he uh went to contessa yeah and, and he tells contessa like yeah we're at the cauldron base because we're trying to basically figure out what they were doing and establish a fallback plan for right. when scion kills everyone so yeah, it's not, I-, I mean he's trying to enrich himself but he's not being Oh, yeah. Selfish. I mean, I, I have no doubt that there is some underlying selfishness to the things that he's doing, but I think it's it's in this type of place right now where his short term goals at least align um, with yeah. most other people's, and it doesn't matter to her. That doesn't matter yeah. anymore. No, no. He, she's just, I, I got to take all your stuff now. Yeah. Right. So his minions are building a dragon craft plus several costumes, which we actually see the, uh, like I said, we see the other side of that uh, with Contessa um, earlier. But before Taylor can attack, she's noticed by one of his patrol squads, which contain precogs and other thinkers capable of anticipating her. 
teacher's organization responds to the incursion like a computer with all the functions distributed across people. They identify her, and teacher directs the response. <laughs> Almost as if teacher has some sort of swarm of people that are controlled and directed to defeat his enemies and accomplish his objectives, and I'm sure that's completely different from what Taylor's doing right now. No, I mean, she's right. You know, oh, she's right, of course. Not, not being selfish. Yeah. So she can't just grab teacher because he's got some kind of anti-teleportation field around him, but she uses his own minions to hem him in. The whole time he's trying to persuade her that he's not a threat, he's a good guy, if he did anything wrong, he's sorry, blah, blah, blah. She identifies the Tinker-made box that keeps the portals out, and then she has her new minions just shoot it. Yeah, and again, teacher is a piece of shit, and I don't like him. I don't think he's a very good person, um, but and he might even be mostly bullshitting here, just trying to to like do anything he can to stop her. Um, but Taylor's not here to negotiate anymore. She can't. She cannot. Literally, cannot negotiate anymore. Um, nothing is going to stop her, um, especially not something as paltry as just an, an explanation or a reason. Um, right. She's nothing. Nothing will stop her at this point. Yeah, especially when teacher keeps lapsing into weird languages, right? Yeah, why would he? That's weird. Why would you do something like yeah, that? Yeah, why would you do that? Yeah, so uh, uh, this is yet another of the many things that reward reread rereads in this uh, arc. Teacher says a lot of weird stuff. He, he says parcel and part. He says CIU. We know it's CUI. He says mollifying the damage, reciprocal enemy. Some of these are like possibly correct usages of of words, but weird choices. Like I, I've I've never heard someone use those words that way and they kind of squint and be like, okay, I can kind of see that. Yeah. Um, but they, they become much more obvious for what they are on rereads that, um, you know, it's, it's basically just Taylor. He, he's saying some word that makes sense and her brain is, is kind of misfitting it to something that doesn't quite make sense. Right. Right. Um, but, but the first time you're, you're mostly just somewhere between confused and assuming the teacher is just sophomorically using words wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she, she, she semi notices these, these slightly off words, but she doesn't connect it to the lapses into other languages. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned on Twitter on my first read through how weird this part felt to me, and I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was exactly, why it felt weird. And, and I'd be absolutely lying to you if I told you that the examples that you just point out, like, all were noticeable by me. I, CIU and CUI is so minor that my brain probably just flipped them and I didn't even notice. But you're right. Like these words are weird. Like I, I read parcel and part and maybe I didn't consciously realize that those words were not in the correct order. But the dialogue here rang weird to me. And I think it's it's great that Wild Bill was able to do that in a way that is the, the reasoning behind it does not become immediately noticeable, but it's still puts you in this weird place where you're like, why? That's why you talking like that. Like, it's just like, like mollifying the damage might not be, like you said, it might not be specifically wrong, but it just seems like a weird way of talking. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So she steals um, his teleporter box thingies. And then she briefly takes him over to observe how his power works, basically to figure out if she can use it. Uh, but she sees that his control comes hand in hand with the power he grants. Um, the control she observes remains and doesn't fade the way he says it does. So basically, everyone who he said, "Oh, I'll give you power," but but don't worry, I won't I won't control you. He's he's been lying. Yeah. Um, and she can't use his power without exposing herself to his influence. Yeah. So no using teacher to talk. That's so like we're we're kind of 
granted this may be possible way out of Taylor's lack of communication. And then we kind of immediately take that away. Like, it's like, I think that's the story officially saying there is no way out of this. You have lost these things for good now. Yeah. Yeah. So her new army of stolen teacher thralls flanks her. She decides to use the clairvoyant directly at this point, rather than by proxy through her control. So she touches him and her awareness unfolds and she starts to take in more and more of the world. As her awareness expands, she feels a greater and greater distance from herself. She feels so small and detached, like a speck. Oh, like the like the title of the... This is like the arc title. Yeah. Huh. I, I really love in this moment that she understands consciously how using this power would cause the Doctor to get detached and lose focus on... on the individual, that that individual humanity we've been talking about. She's conscious of that. Um, and then just carries on using the power. Like <laughs> consequences have never really been Taylor's strong suit, but here at the end, she's like less concerned with them than ever before. It's like, this was something that she consciously was aware of. And that in the past she has, she has attacked Cauldron for is like, you are forgetting the human element. You're being too abstract. You're being too big picture. And, and she's aware of that and then says, I need that now. So yeah. I do that. And she's already slipping at this point. Yeah. Not as badly as she's going to be, but she's already slipping. And, that, and now she's like, hey, I'm going to use this power that I know has deleterious effects on your mind. Um, hope it hope it goes well. Oh, by the way, if I lose <laughs> contact with his hand at any point, I'll collapse. <laughs> so she's So now she's able to observe all the capes. Those fighting, the majority not fighting. Uh, she sees the cabin that Tattletail told her Groove and Cozen were holed up in, but she doesn't want to look inside. Almost as if she kind of knows the truth, but is able, unable to, to fully admit it or something. Because he's dead. He's dead. So then she looks over to her house in Brockton Bay. Charlotte, Forrest, Sierra. Uh, Sierra giving off an oddly familiar impression. Yeah, I think she says um, ruthless and authoritarian. Yeah, specifically. So great, oh, you, good. you broke Sierra. Yeah. Good job, good job, Taylor. Yeah, Tattletail, Rachel, and Imp are uh, are, are together. Imp is giving CPR. Perrin and Foil are are skulking around. She checks in on her mom's grave and she draws the bugs away from it, adding them to her swarm. So these are all of her anchors right now. Yep, that's all of them, Matt. Definitely zero more anchors that will be added to this list in the future. This is it. This is all of them. Moving on. Yeah. She flinches away from looking for her dad. She couldn't handle finding out that he's dead now. So she, she doesn't look. Which is funny because that's not something that actually ever occurred to me in this moment. That there's like, a, I guess, a thin possibility that he's still alive, even if it's super unlikely. Because uh, like, like she never actually has asked anyone about this. Lisa has never told her, yes, your father's dead. This was just a lot of assumption um, on her part. Um, but I don't know. I like, yeah. I think Taylor's refusal to look says a lot, just like with Gru, because Gru's dead. Yeah, it, it's interesting. There's, there's a lot of assumptions, even like the fact that Taylor looks at her with sympathy when she comes in and she's like, yep, that means my dad's dead. It's like, yeah, that's yeah. not, that, that's not, I mean, there's many things, many bad things just happened. So there's, there's many reasons she could be looking at you with sympathy, actually. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, and then she, oh, hold on, hold on, Scott. She lists one more anchor. Oh. The least important of all, the mantle, the costume, for lack of a better word, with the honeycomb portals. It was secure. I had my goal. 
had my mission. I was still me. I was managing. Yes, Matt. This is definitely her least important anchor. Every single other anchor is more important than this one, and I'm sure this will be one of the first ones that's cast off, and Taylor will focus on her mother's grave or her best friends, and not this mantle of her costume of the portals and her mission. That's what's definitely going to happen. Yes, I agree. Perfectly. So when she turns her attention to Scion, she finds him screaming, a raw, pained, and furious sound. Ah, this gave me goosebumps. Even on a second reading, I got goosebumps at this time. Um, Because, like, I I can imagine how alien and weird that sounds. And, like, we we even talked about, like, last week about, like, the fact that his face just looked different was a huge fundamental change in Scion's behavior. And now we've gotten to this, where he's just, like, screaming constantly, just yeah. never-ending. Like, he doesn't have to breathe, so it's not like he has to stop screaming at any point. It's just, like, constant screaming. Ugh. Yeah, I agree. That affected me, too. And and just to, you know, to speak of, like, goosebumps, there's so many parts of this chat, of this arc, that, that give me some kind of strong reaction either yeah. i'll i'll like tear up or i'll, I'll get like a frisson or, or goosebumps or something like that um it's and and note that i've read this probably like 10 times or more maybe so uh and it still affects me that way which i don't think i can say the same of almost any art which is quite yeah. a thing actually yeah absolutely it, it's when you know that that not only are the characters well written but that you are invested in them mm-hmm. yeah good point so she uses the stolen device from Peter to break her way into the world where the CUI have sealed themselves away. She finds the Imperial family protected by the full force of the Angban, all the components of the Angban, protected by a fortress made by Ziggurat. Yeah, and, and this is really this is really one of our big point of no return moments. I and mean, we've said Taylor's kind of already made her mind. She's already passed that. But but so far, she's really just been maneuvering around and setting things up. Like, I mean, fucking with Teacher isn't that huge of a deal because it's just just teacher um and 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 like tattletale said a little earlier she hasn't actually done enough to get the entire known existence against her just yet um but but this is it now she's got her pieces in place and it's time for her first real big strike to add to her collection and this is another moment where scott said oh taylor yeah i like that she actually has some apprehension about this which is something we rarely see from her um, yeah, we get an enticing peek into the workings of the inner course of the CUI for a moment. The most powerful capes in China kept as bodyguards, and Null 1 and 2, the ones that make the whole show work, uh, quote, the ones who divided the powers, controlled the squads, and gave them the strength to be effective, respectively. Yeah, I, I like this moment a lot, too. And I think it's cool that even here in the climax of our novel, we still have time for a little more world building. Um, the CUI was always this kind of nebulous organization that we talked about, but didn't really know a lot about. And Wildbo still in this moment takes some time to fill in some of that flavor text here. There, we've got this 14-year-old emperor surrounded by bodyguards. We've got this, this palace with kaleidoscoping rooms. It's really cool. And it's just a peak of this completely different world that we haven't even seen. Um, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love I love this little, little tidbit. It, it kind of shocked me when we learned how much, how many people the CUI still had, right? Like, um, I think they said there's over 300 million people left on this world um, that they've all kind of gathered together. This is probably, I I would guess, like the biggest current collection of of human beings in one place in all the universes at this point, probably. Um, And and I think that's like, we're, we're setting up the scope of how many people this is. And it's like, 
oh well time for taylor to just single-handedly conquer all of them yep yep yeah so so like i said the idea of attacking this insanely fortified position with all these powerful capes gives her pause but she glances to her anchors for strength and then opens portals across numerous worlds and pulls in as many bugs as she can reach she goes for a good solid uh 100 trillion I think <laughs> yeah. she's, she's, she ends up getting. She says uh, 18 zeros is probably too many, not because I couldn't handle them because it would take forever to get all that. Yeah. So I'll just go for 14 zeros. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, holy shit. Right. Change the, the gravity of this planet with the yeah. amount of bugs that I brought in. Yeah. So m- most of her bugs attack and the rest provide an impenetrable swarm for her to hide in. And then whenever any of the young bun capes try to attack her position, she has her bugs consume them. Uh, yeah, that made me shiver a little bit. She doesn't simply beat back anyone who gets too close to her. She doesn't attack them, sting them, choke them with bugs, any of that stuff. Uh, no, she just uh, consumes them. Yeah, that I think that, that actually did strike me as uh, a line crossed here because yeah. she's avoided killing anyone uh, I mean, and, and here she casually just not only kills these guys, but just like, like, it's not even a thought. It's just like, oh, they came too close. So I just had the, I and mean, you can imagine it, like the flesh stripped from their bones. And, and by the way, she's still perceiving all of this with her, you know, sensorium. So, yeah, yeah. So Jesus. So then she captures more of the online groups, more visions of low moments swamp her. Bakura's fury, Taylor's own disappointment in herself. I, I I feel like this is as good of a time as any to discuss how brilliant I think that mechanic of relaying information via memories is, as it serves as, as a, a functional moment in the story, but also a very fitting thematic moment. It makes sense logically within the world. You know, Taylor Shard is 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 talking to her in the only way it can. It's it's tapping into her memories. Um and and it's those are the only experiences, the only no way it knows how to express that information to her. But it's so much more than that too. Taylor has made this fundamental choice. She's crossed this line, and and she's slid down that slippery slope. And now here at the end, as she's carrying forward with this plan, she's forced to relive each and every one of those moments in her past, those steps that brought her here, each of those choices, those failures, perceived or real. Uh, the trauma, the emotion, she's she's forced to relive it all as she's carrying out this thing. And I think it's just thematically perfect, like how much yeah. we're ruled by the things that happened to us in the past. Uh, it's so good. It's such a good idea. Yeah, it's a nice little twist um, from what Echidna was was doing, where, where uh, Noelle's shard would give her flashbacks much more you know, she would essentially lose time when she was right. having these flashbacks. You kind of come to, but, but the, that shard also, it couldn't, it couldn't talk to her, but it could communicate with her through memories. Yeah. Um, in a very different way, you feel like Taylor's connection to her shard here is even more intimate than Noelle's was. Um, but, but yeah, this, in, in both cases, there's this sense of, of, um, the, the character's narrative being, being relived um, as they're as they're going through these challenges and they're being reminded of how they got here. Yeah, yeah. So she she thinks uh, I felt a kind of anger swelling in my breast, and I knew it wasn't mine. 
but it was still a feeling I could ride, something that could carry me forwards. Fuck them. Fuck them for not cooperating. Fuck it all. I shouldn't have had to go this far. <laughs> and that's just vintage Taylor. Um, yeah. Blaming the people she's attacking for forcing her to attack them. Um, I-, I like that you pulled this quote, too, because it, she specifically... Like, we see that slippage here. She, she's aware that the anger isn't even hers anymore. She's aware of that, but she can use it, and therefore she's gonna. And it's like, it's just more and more and more escalation. And we're starting to, we're on the third chapter now, we're starting to ride this line between um, who is in control and who is not here. Who, which part of this is Taylor and which part of this is the shard. We're riding that line, and it's really good. Yep. So once she obtains the the Yangban Cape 2, her power clarifies and she gains some more control over her body. This is, if anything, the, the only time that she takes a little bit of a step away from completely falling apart. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's interesting because, like, she regains control over her body using 2's power, which means that at this point, Taylor's control of herself is done through her power. Basically, not yeah, not so. not the motor functions of a human brain connecting to uh, your muscles and your bones. It's done specifically through her power. Yeah, which is I think that's insane. Yeah. So she now takes a doorway to the birdcage um, after first accidentally heading to her old prison. She notices once she arrives at the mountaintop that her body isn't doing so well. She's sweating and her chest hurts, but her body just seems so paltry, lost in the mass of the swarm. Yeah, I like there's two things I want to talk about here. I want, I, the, the fact that she goes to her own prison first, it's 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 so much this tiny little beat that you kind of move right past. But it says a lot, I think she, she can't even direct herself to the right place anymore. She's barely hanging on. She's kind of basically functioning just through memories now. And so I want to go to the prison. Her shard says, OK, I know where that is and yeah. takes her <laughs> takes her to the prison that she was at before. That was right, right? I guessed right. Um, <laughs> that's where you wanted to go. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's she's she's we see we're seeing her slowly slip there, and and I love I, the other part. I, I love is that we take kind of take time to take stock in um, how meaningless Taylor the body the individual is now compared to uh, the bigness of everything that's around her through both the the size of her swarm steadily growing and uh, and the her clairvoyant use um her own body has become meaningless and and this this kind of goes back to some beats that we got last week like imp last week said that 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 taylor was like acting creepy again and seemed like she was more the swarm than she was taylor and then taylor herself said as she was injured that her body was just an inconvenience just a method for transporting her brain and her power and that was um speaking specifically to how her injury at that time had debilitated her body but now it's kind of true that's that's absolutely here now yeah i feel like that was clearly foreshadowing this yeah yeah. and and you can see in the writing how it emphasizes that right like there's subtle beats here like taylor doesn't just take a breath she makes herself take a breath she doesn't just crack her neck and turn her neck she forces herself to crack her neck every move of the body that is taylor is now deliberate it is it is intentional and it is forced. It is not just moving your body. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, definitely you know we're we're somewhat around you know a third to halfway through this, 
and we're starting to get a sense of how um completely lost she's becoming yeah and we haven't even got to, to the next bit yet that's about to happen um and then i think when we get here we're gonna we're gonna realize that there's there's kind of uh no out here so yeah yeah she triggers the birdcage automated defenses and then she waits for dragon to show up when she does she speaks to taylor and it says it was the same language shen yu had spoken to me the same incomprehensible language teacher had lapsed into english so now the queen who only ever wanted people to communicate and talk to each other can't talk and now she can't listen so there's no way forward except destroying the best person she ever knew matt how good is this oh my god like and and again we i think we see wild bow playing in both the literal and metaphorical meaning of something right because taylor literally cannot understand language anymore and her ability to understand and talk has been stripped from her as she becomes more shard and less taylor but also this is like a microcosm of, of taylor as a whole um she can't reason with people and she can't be reasoned with. She's crossed this line and these, these parts of her that require discussion, consideration, understanding, those tools aren't necessary anymore because I've crossed this line. All that I need anymore is conflict. All that I need is violence. And, and we see that literally here so much so that she's literally going to attack the one decent person in the world admittedly the one decent person in the world she says the one person who still trusted her enough a few chapters ago to give her the information when she blatantly lied to her about it and the one person who can still stand inside taylor's power bubble without getting taken over the one person taylor can't control or push away and she must destroy her yeah and yeah yeah yeah, i know aisha can technically get in there too but that's, (laughs) that's later we don't know that yet yeah, w- one thing that we're never quite sure of is is like how deliberate is her shards' progression of, of what it's doing here. And I, I'm instinctively I'm inclined to say that a lot of what's happening is just the shard is kind of cannibalizing brain functions that it doesn't think she'll need. But yeah. you could also take the view I think that that it's like it's like I just want to control everyone and. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sabotage the host's ability to communicate so that she has no choice other than to just do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know if there's too much evidence one way or the other. It's just an interesting reading that occurred to me. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that second one. I, I like it. Yeah. Um, hmm. yeah. Yeah. So we move into 30.4 and, and Taylor is reflecting on playing one of those creepy mirror games with Emma when she was younger. Um, interesting that, to get Emma brought up for one thing, um, <laughs> appropriate, I think, um, and how she actually saw her face appear to shift into a monstrous visage in the mirror. Uh, so basically, this is a way of talking about the brain weirdness that she's experiencing. And to, to harken back to what I was saying a minute ago, it's kind of like um, she's watching herself through through clairvoyance. She's watching herself through the eyes of all these people who, by the way, all these people see her as a terrifying monster who's controlling them. And I think that this basically causes her to start seeing herself that way. Right. Absolutely. You, you look in the mirror enough times and you, you look at yourself enough times and you say monster that eventually that's what you become. And even if it was, even if it wasn't true, even like Taylor has convinced herself at this point that she is the monster that she says, she looks at herself and she says, I'm kind of a little bit of a monster. 
And I, I guess the only thing left to do is just embrace that and just fully be that monster. And it is. It's it's Bloody Mary. It's looking at yourself in the mirror and saying monster, monster, monster until it becomes the truth. And mm-hmm. that's it's a beautiful moment of of kind of realization here. And it's, it's sad. Yeah. It's very sad. This whole thing is yeah. very sad, Matt. It's all, yeah, it's all super, super sad. Yeah. It's uh, what gives rise to that post-warm depression that everyone <laughs> always talks about. So her body is so clenched at, to the point that it's painful, and she's trying to keep an eye contact with Dragon while also watching the whole freaking multiverse through the clairvoyance. The, the whole multiverse, except for, for Brian's cabin. Right, Matt? Not looking, looking there. Yep. Not ever going to look... <laughs> inside it just gonna look at it i can see literally every single speck of the multiverse but i'm not gonna know what's in that cabin taylor you know you know taylor (laughs) the dragon grasps that taylor can't talk to her but taylor is able to pantomime the idea of opening the birdcage to her she senses it below her suspended in a vast open space the vastness amplified by space warping tech taylor just wishes she could reach out and hug dragon to have some physical contact Instead, she opens a portal into a lava flow and sprays it over Dragon. Dragon returns fire, and Taylor then uses uh, portals to direct that attack into Scion. Yep, so now she's she's attacking her friend. Um, so if, if we, if, like we said at the beginning, if we track the entirety of Spec, this arc, as Taylor's slow transformation from Taylor to Queen Administrator, then 3.4, this chapter, serves as our halfway point in the journey. So it, it kind of makes sense that we're in this moment where we're about 50-50, kind of, we're seeing a lot of uh, contradictory information. Um, am I losing my mind? Uh, never mind. Move on. All I want is a hug. No, it is a melter. Um, and it, it kind of makes sense because we're, we're at this, this kind of, uh, barrier point where we're moving along the spectrum and we're about to cross over into where Taylor is more queen administrator than she is Taylor. So it makes sense in this mid chapter that we're seeing this contradiction. Um, and I think that's marvelously well done. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's almost like there's some kind of, I don't know, compartmentalization between, uh, Taylor and this queen administrator and, <gasps> gradually no. gradually shifts and, and deteriorates in various ways impossible that's not a theme no, no? okay <laughs> I guess that was wrong so next she steps through a portal to the tallest building in the world and opens portals next to her minions having them fire their guns or blaster powers through them at dragon destroying her ship this is our first taste of taylor's toolboxing of the combination of powers available to her dragon sends now tens of thousands of drones Taylor pushes the toolboxing further with only minutes ago. Uh, well, while only minutes ago, she had trouble grasping the nature of a single power she had controlled. Now she's just casually leveraging the powers of all the precogs and combat thinkers under her command to sharpen her attack and coordinating all of the ranged fire perfectly. Um, she starts by taking out dragon's data centers. All right. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to whine, Matt. Okay. Um, I want to talk about, the idea that Taylor is a Mary Sue. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know if we've ever talked about this specifically on the podcast. I know we've talked with Wild Bo about it. And we've talked with the community about it enough that I've kind of gleaned that one of uh, a certain sect of the population's favorite criticisms to lob at this, this story is that Taylor has a propensity to fall into Mary Sueism. 
um, which I guess I guess we should define that for the people that are, are blissfully unaware. Um, it basically means that she is the perfect idealized character. She's good at everything. She succeeds at everything. Um, it, they basically serve as wish fulfillment for readers. Um, they're, they're not actually a character with flaws. They just do everything right. And I think you can look at moments like this where she went from uh, barely having control of this new power to basically mastering it and being awesome at everything and, and, and try to uh, finagle a way that Taylor is really good at solving problems and really good at figuring out her tools as a, as a, a aspect of Mary Sueism. Um, and people, if there's any of you that are listening to this podcast that, that legitimately believe this, um, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. <laughs> the, the, yeah. I, the idea, the idea that Taylor is a character without flaw and is good at everything and, is is perfect at everything she does is laughable like taylor has so many flaws and her the flaws specifically lead to her downfall at the end of the story the idea that she exists as some idealized version of a human being as she's flying around without an arm slowly losing control of her own brain is a joke and i cannot believe we're here at the end of the story now so i feel like i'm confident enough to finally declare this definitively no no, you're ridiculous. Yeah, and she's also like always been a miserable person, and had like this extremely unfulfilling and awkward romance that was right. truncated. And what part of and, this is wish fulfillment? <laughs> Who wants to yeah, be this person? She, she's actually failed at everything she's tried to do in in, in the big picture yeah. sense, um, except for the evil things that she regrets. Like I don't, don't, I, don't I don't, I don't get like I like the only the only thing I can see is oh she's really good at her power. So yeah, which so that which means is, she's a Mary Sue. Yeah, it's like no, I mean, that's, that's just a character trait. That's what right. it is. Like, and that actually makes the story more fun. Like, like it makes the story more fun that she's really good. She's a really powerful cape. Like, and and she's a really powerful cape in an unconventional way. And that yeah, that's fun. And the the um, wish fulfillment aspect of that is offset by the fact that she's a horribly flawed character in a wonderful way. Yeah. Um, the kids, I mean, I'm the never kid, uh, ends up. Yeah. Sh- dead alone in a forest that's that's yeah. wish fulfillment yeah I, I mean i'm I'm never interested in like definition arguments which is what i see this as being like is she a mary sue i'm like okay well i don't i don't care i don't care about that that term so you can ask <laughs> specific questions that does she does she exhibit these qualities she exhibits this quality and this quality she doesn't exhibit these other qualities so yeah uh wh- whatever she is she's entertaining as hell to read yeah so, I agree. Yeah, I, th- I think it's. I think there are people that don't like this book, and they grasp for buzz terms in order to explain what they don't like about it. And this is one of those. And it's okay to not like the story. I get that. Um, but this is not. Yeah. This this playing with with popular terms to try to define something is is absurd. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm a, I'm also a fan of explaining why you don't like something, but. Sometimes you can be wrong about why you don't like something. <laughs> yes. Like, I mean, it's like people who, who say, oh, I hated the prequels because of Jar Jar. It's like, no, no, that's not why. That, that is, in fact, not why you hated the prequels. Yeah. Um, Jar Jar was just a really obvious symptom. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. Well said. But you forced yourself to acknowledge that the prequels exist, which is uh, breaking rule number three of, of the Daily Planet podcast. I'm to- talking about the prequels to... Uh, um, something else <laughs> okay <laughs> not the ones you're thinking of oh silly me yeah that also have a character named jar jar anyway <laughs> um so 
she, she back on track. She keeps thinking, I'm sorry, even as she dismantles more and more Dragon's infrastructure. She shoots down Dragon's satellites, and Dragon doesn't relent either, so Taylor has to go further. Dragon goes after her portals directly with a tinker trick, but Taylor slips away and hammers the data center one last time, and then all the gauges go haywire. She realizes she went too far. Dragon, uh, She watches Dragon bid farewell to a number of other capes as Dragon falls apart and appears to die. I was so mad at her at this point, Matt. I was so <laughs> mad at Taylor. We've already lost Dragon once and thought that was good. And, and yay, she came back and that's happy. And now we have to lose her again at, at Taylor's own hand. I, I really I really love those I'm sorry beats in this moment, too, because we're, we're very specifically told that this is not Taylor thinking I'm sorry as she ripped apart her old friend. This is Taylor just recalling the memory of Dinah. This is Taylor right. shard communicating here, not Taylor. Yeah, that is really interesting. That is an interesting detail. I'm not even sure what to make of it exactly, but uh, yeah, she's. I mean, she's definitely feeling remorseful about this, but she's not stopping. Yeah. So having realized what she's done, Taylor vomits on the rooftop in horror. <laughs> yeah. Not that her emotions are, are clear, clear enough to label, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure the summation of what she's feeling is something like horror. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she she thinks I wanted to scream to yell at her for being like all the others and refusing to play along, to listen and cooperate. I wanted to do the opposite, to beg her forgiveness and hate myself for being exactly what I criticize others for. I wanted to p- put all those feelings aside and start dealing with Sion. I wanted to give up on that entirely because fuck it, what was even what was I even trying to save at this point? Yeah, this um, this is great. Um, it's great. Yeah. It, it's showing that that battle. Like again, we're we're halfway through the arc and we're showing this battle between Taylor and Queen Administrator as they're kind of jockeying for control here. But it's also just kind of classic Taylor, right? Like, yeah. like I wanted to yell at her for refusing to play along and to listen and cooperate. Listen and cooperate, Taylor? You can't speak or read <laughs> or understand. Listen to what? You can't explain. You can't communicate to Dragon anymore. Yet you're still fully expecting her to side with your way of seeing things, even if you cannot explain them to her. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love that whole bit there because it's such a it, it's such a mess of contradictions, and yet it it reads to me as great writing because it's great psychology. It's yeah. um that that is completely a a mess of emotions that I can imagine having in my head, even though even though I would hesitate to write something like that. You know what I mean? Like like yeah. to be like to have a character feeling like six different things at once. It's like oh that doesn't that doesn't seem right. But it's like no, that's you you have her in this position. She she's feeling she's feeling this turmoil it's all there at the same time it's it's not it's not you know there's there's not one thing that wins out i think that is an aspect of humanity that is pretty hard to get down on paper because like Mm -hmm. we we don't experience emotions in like one by one kind of preset things We, we we experience a range of things we have a range of thoughts all simultaneously that we have to process and deal with to make our decisions and to make our choices. And it's really hard to put that in a way that's convincingly human in, in text. And I think this oh, yeah. is a pretty good example of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Most of what we're most, most of what we are is subconscious. And then we sort of verbalize on top of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something to study. Yeah. So, so here she, she looks for her anchors and tends to her portal mantle by way of centering herself. She has trouble finding her house, and she can't remember the right word at one point, but reassures herself that anybody could slip up and 
this this kind of situation. Sure. Anybody. You're fine. You're fine, Taylor. You're doing great. Um, she's already cast aside Forrest and Charlotte and Sierra at this point, by the way. Though those those anchors are gone now. Yeah. Um, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Now she now she loses her house and she she takes a minute to can't even remember her mom's grave. You Taylor, you've got this handled. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Suddenly the drones leap to life again and resume the attack. Kira notices how much easier things are when she's doing specifically when she's active in conflict yeah and i think this is really the moment where we we really switch over to taylor losing that internal battle in earnest now um like the uh, if we're on that spectrum we've officially crossed into queen administrator is kind of over 50 percent now <laughs> um and that's kind of where, where we find ourselves yeah i think that's i think that's fair yeah um, although she's certainly not admitting it and in no, fact never no. admits it um, because even now she thinks this was me. I thrived when I had an opponent and when it could carry out that goal I'd had from the beginning, getting the world to the point where it all made sense, bringing people in line, subjugating those who would get in the way or do more harm than good. And I think that's like this paragraph is the 50% point yeah. because me who, because <laughs> that, that describes Taylor exactly as well as it describes the queen administrator, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. It does. And, and Taylor almost recognizes it maybe maybe this is her now but it it wasn't always her maybe she just looked in that mirror long enough until it became her like we said Mm. yeah i like that that's cool that's awesome uh yeah so finally she realizes who's controlling the, the, the drones it's dragon she was just playing dead just showing taylor the seriousness of what she's doing she uses another tinker power to knock down all taylor's portals and so taylor is kind of screwed but she can only, only laugh with happiness. Hey, Matt, remember when Taylor was like sitting in her lair in her big comfy chair, like ruling her territory while she sipped on some tea? And we were like, damn, Taylor, that's pretty fucking Bond villainy of you. <laughs> now she's on the roof of the tallest building in the world, surrounded by hundreds of billions of bugs and human swarms now cackling and and in an alien sound, it's a, it's it's not her laugh. It's an alien sound, and it's just like holy shit, holy shit. Yeah, yeah how that's, far you've come. That's one of the many visuals in this arc that I just relish. Um, and then, <laughs> and then of course, this laugh turns into an insane scream of rage that that rubs her throat raw as she resumes her attack. Yeah, it, and it's hard not to compare this back to Scion's scream of rage that we heard last chapter. Um, and, and this, this brought me to an interesting thing. It's like we're, we're, we're along the, the course of this, we're seeing Taylor shard kind of take over. And at the same time, we're seeing Scion become kind of go in the opposite way and become more and more ruled by his human side, by his, the specific human part of him, not the shard part of him. And that seems pretty deliberate. Yeah, I think so. That, that's great. Yeah. Um, Taylor thinks, uh, fuck you for fucking with my head at a time like this, dragon. <laughs> Says the person that's screaming in a blind rage just to panic the people slightly outside of her control range. Um, <laughs> so they'll just attack. Yeah. Shouldn't, shouldn't fuck with people's heads. No, don't dragon. do that, Taylor. No. 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 Uh, Taylor, Taylor reasons that, that taking out dragon's main suit usually sets her back pretty sharply. And we also happen to know that some of dragon's rules concern her having to be embodied in, in one suit at a time yeah. and then arduously having to load from backups when 
that body is taken out. So she, she's right about this, actually. Mm-hmm. So Doormaker's power uh, recovers from the Tinker attack sufficiently that Taylor can find and destroy Dragon's main suit. Yeah, and, and as she defeats Dragon here, she she nicely defines what a slippery what exactly a slippery slope is. Um, when she says, I don't have time to feel guilty. I don't have time to think. There was only a moment where I felt the weight of what I was doing, the knowledge that if this didn't work, I'd set everything back for nothing. So her, her justification now is like we talked about all those arcs ago. I have to keep going because if I don't, the bad things I did to get here will have been for nothing. So I have to keep doing the bad things or else the, the previous bad things were just a waste. Right. I have to save Dinah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're here again. Yeah. And it's just like, it's so destroying because like we talked about, like I was so excited. I, I, I grabbed onto every little bit of what I thought was growth and change for Taylor. Uh, every little bit where it seemed like she was coming to, to terms with these things and, and trying to correct them. And no, this is just Dinah again on a different scale. Yeah. Right. And I feel like, I feel like that growth wasn't, I feel like that growth was, was real, but her problems run deep. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Like it's not, it's not something that can be fixed like that. It's, it's something that will always be a part of you and her trauma, the things that she went through will always be part of her. And that is not something you get over. That is something you work against for the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, she can go to all the sessions with, jessica yamada that she that she wants and and i mean i think that a person can can fix themselves eventually but i think i think she's probably only really scratching the surface yeah in in the sense that like her best self wanted to be different her best self wanted to be better but right now what we're looking at is herself pushed to the utmost extremity and risking losing everything and unfortunately that's the time when you fall back on your instincts right. and your bad habits, which right. is what she's doing. And, and we have to say in that, that this is not just an internal battle, that, that, that this world is basically demanding this of her because she is in the middle of saving the world. We can't, we can't forget that. We can't lose, lose sight of the fact that the actions that she's taking right now, the things that she's doing right now will d- directly result in the continued existence of the species. And that, yeah. that matters that, that, and and that's why this is tragic. It's not just because Taylor has fallen down the slippery slope and is doing these terrible things. That is true. But it's that the world demands that of her. You can't get past your trauma in this world because there are so many things that that your that your propensity to lash out against that trauma requires. And that's yeah. so heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's so awesome in the sense of of like awe about about this ending for me is is that it's simultaneously about someone successfully saving the world from an evil alien while also being devastatingly tragic. Yeah. And, and your the, 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 the fortunes of your protagonist are declining as the fortunes of the world are, 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 are raising. And yeah. it's a, it's a very, it's the most like bleakly beautiful emotional experience that I can recall, you know, there's so many superhero stories that basically end with like, Oh, and then save the world. Yeah. And then everyone gets to like stand together and fist bump at the end. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it's not fair. It's a, you, you want to talk about someone being unfair to Taylor. Th- this universe is being unfair to Taylor. Uh, yeah. th- th- that this is, 
that this is what it takes to save the world is not fair, but yeah. it's life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so yeah, she, she, she wins, you know, she, uh, she knocks out the dragon main suit and adds the 700 birdcage capes to her army. She then goes on to build up her forces. She reaches uh, for those who fled the fighting, the retirees, the rogues, and even the inmates of the parahuman asylums like Glory Girl, the Slaughterhouse-Nine clones. And then she looks to other universes. Yeah, and, and here we go. Here we go. She's fully committed now. She, so she begins plucking people from other places. And, and these aren't people that are working against her team, like Teacher and the CUI. These aren't convicts locked away in a birdcage. She's breaking into asylums and recruiting damaged, broken people. She's breaking into other worlds. And, 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 and this is, this is just the beginning now. This is just the beginning. Yeah, right. Um, and then she, she thinks there were capes in Earth Aleph, barely seedless by our standards. Sundancer, Genesis, and Ballistic were there as well. The former two in civilian clothes, retired, the latter in a lavish penthouse, fully done up in costume. <laughs> oh, Ballistic. My portals opened, and I had control of them. I left Oliver behind. Not even Oliver is useful. Poor guy. Yeah. Yeah, I understand yeah, I, this is ironic. I, that was intentional. That was, yes. I was saying that on purpose. Yes. Also, this is a fun callback to uh, Sundancer walking away into Aleph and, and you saying, oh, I hope she gets her... Her, her happy retirement. She doesn't have to do any of this cape shit anymore. Oh, um, she was so close. Yeah. Taylor. Not, not her fault. Stop. Yeah. So she finds a dimension with a world government of capes and their leader, the blue woman, uh, I'll call her that, uh, resists Taylor's control. But uh, there will be no compromise here. Taylor snags Canary and uses her to fight the other woman's compulsion. Stop. <laughs> Stop! No, have to get everybody. Sleeper. I could see him sitting on a lawn chair on a balcony, reading a book out loud to himself. More trouble than he was worth. I let him be. So I'm guessing this is just going to be one of those things that the book never answers, huh? Because this is we're here, we're at the end, and we just don't know what the fuck this is. Still, isn't it so much more fun this way, this guy? I, yeah, I mean, you don't need to answer every single mystery of the world, but yeah, I mean, I think it's. Honestly, it's almost like a, a running joke at this point. Uh, yeah, it like, seems like it. <laughs> it definitely I seems mean, like it. It I seems mean, like Wildbow's specifically dropping stuff in here just to fuck with people. Yeah. Since we're so close to the end, I'll I'll, I'll dip very mildly into like fandom and mention that that people joke that that it's just a uh, like a powerful stranger whose power is to make you think that he's super dangerous. <laughs> That's really hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she uh, she glances over her anchors one more time. Uh, the mantle of portals comes first in the list oh, now. Huh. She can't find her old house, can't be bothered to. She finds a house and realizes it isn't hers, something from a book she read. <laughs> so that least important anchor of hers is first now, the one that didn't matter at all and would probably get pa- pa- cast off first. That one, yeah. huh? That one? Yeah. No. <laughs> I, love, no. I love that she went to a house. I was like, yeah. wait a minute. This isn't mine. <laughs> this, this house with the rose bushes on the hill. And Wait a minute, that's... <laughs> Oh, Taylor. Yeah. So now she shows up on the battlefield with her army of 3,000. I was probably strong enough to kill everyone here. I stopped myself. <laughs> Wait, why did I think that? Yeah. I don't want to kill these people. I wonder. Uh, so, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, that's like, it's it's so crazy. that like, And that's, I think, we're, we're showing that the queen administrator has really started to take control now. That like, like 
does that mean I'm slipping? The fact that I just blindly just said, I want to kill these people? Nah, 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 that can't mean anything. Yeah, I think it's fitting that at this time her, her thoughts begin to stutter. Because um, like that, that was basically an, an intrusion of into her like inner monologue yeah. from from the passenger, and now her thoughts begin to stutter to, uh, when she sees Tattletail. But she's not about to stop, so she decides to go after Glassigwinia now. Uh, uh, the Fairy Queen's precog anticipates the attack, and she counters with a wind attack. She also has a damage transferring cape who, who reflects an attack on one of Taylor's minions. So Taylor grabs Alexandria, Legend, and Mornog, basically going going after the strongest in sight. Um, and thinks controlling the person who was controlling the manipulative bitch Alexandria. Ooh, that's a lot of anger toward Alexandria there, Taylor. Where did where did that come from? It's a shard. It yeah. came from the shard. I mean, and it's a funny thought too, because it's like, yeah. no, 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 you killed Alexandria. Yeah. <laughs> that's just that's just controlling your body. So right. I mean, it's it's just a it's a it's this it's a noticeably um strange injection of, of emotion into the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So she funnels one of Scion's shots to hit Elastic Winye, which kind of short-circuits the, the her attempt to use the damage-reflecting cape, and then she uses the distraction to control her. Then, like, very quickly, using her dominant force, she gets everybody else, and it's over. Yep, that's Her it. army is overwhelmingly dominant, 5,000 capes. Good job, Taylor. You, d- you did it. Hooray. Yep, yep. So she almost takes Panacea and Tattletail, but she decides she needs her as an anchor. And now she's fighting even as she's doing this, even as she's looking for anchors. Her multitasking is in full effect, and she's she's battling even as she's having these these crises. And uh, now my favorite part of the entire book. <laughs> I couldn't find the grave. No time. What else? The mantle of power, of course. Yes, Tattletail. And I reached out, tried to find others, and I failed. It would would have to do. This was it. Finally, everyone was working together. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this this forever. <laughs> yes. Before we get into the final line, I want to talk about how the mantle of portals has has shifted to the mantle of power now. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's not. She, she was using it as just, oh, this was just my costume and the portals. It was something that made me feel comfortable and safe and that's what I'm using as an anchor. But it's not just that anymore. It's, it's, it's the power itself, the mission itself. Um, it, that's always been more important to her than her friends, than her father. The mission, that mantle of power has always been more important. So it's very fitting here that it kind of just falls into that as we yeah, go. Well, I- and I think that's the only thing that the shard cares about. It doesn't care about yeah, yeah. her friends. It, it cares. It cares about itself, basically. This, this right. is the manifestation of, of what it is. It's, right. it's, it's this ability to project control and therefore safety and security over over everyone and everything. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Finally, finally, everyone was working together. Yeah, Matt, I that's... spit out my water when I read this the first time. I took a drink. And I read this, and I lost my shit. Um, yeah. It's it's everything. It's everything the book has been leading to. And we, we can talk about the morality of what Taylor has done until we're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. Like, the, the, Taylor has convinced herself throughout the course of this book that if she could just reason with people, if she could just 
talk to them. She could convince them that her way was the right way. And, and this represents a fundamental failure of that line of thinking. This is everyone working together is ironically a failure because yeah. it's only because you made them. You forced them. They're not working together. You are all that's left. It's not everyone. Yeah. It's just you. And right. it's like there's so much in that one sentence. Yeah. This is what I was saying earlier about her, her basically giving up on her on her idealized view of humanity yeah. as as there being a possibility of people working together yeah. for real. Yeah. What's I think another interesting thing about the phrasing is that I, it's almost like she doesn't realize the irony of it. Like, like I guess you could read it a couple of different ways, but, but I think by default, I read it as like, this is a genuine thought. She's like, she's like, good. Everyone's working together now and sh- it shows you how far gone she is Yeah, that she interprets it that way because sane Taylor would be like, no, this is, this is terrible. This is yeah. a, this is a disaster. Um, but she's basically like, like, fi- I finally accomplished what I've been trying to do this whole time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, I think you're absolutely right. There's terrible. no, there's no, uh, awareness to that statement. You're right. You're absolutely right. She, she, I think she fully means it in this moment that yes, I've succeeded. This is my goal. I've got everyone to work together. Good job, me. Let's do it. Yeah. 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 Um, just, I, I think just this, this whole section, this whole few, few lines, um, couldn't be more perfect and, and every time i read it I, it affects me yeah um, yeah and and it's it's just like oh uh, man i don't know it's 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 hard to say much beyond that like yeah we've we've analyzed it i can't i can't take out the feeling that this gives me and pass it to you through the <laughs> through the microphone but if like only we were connected via our our brains or something yeah someday <laughs> um but but like that's that's the thing it's really hard to 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 explain when you're like this is a this is a incredible piece of art that's that impacts me so profoundly and i'm just like yeah okay all right yeah. now moving on it's like uh, no i want to do justice to it but i guess mm-hmm. that's all i can say for now yeah 30.5 opens up and taylor thinks now for the clint the clincher the ultimate strategy yeah, and this is, the, I think, the first real beat of her internal monologue starting to stutter. Um, and and we've, we've kind of, we've moved into the back half of the arc now. Um, we've, we've, I think we've crossed that 50% administrator threshold, and Taylor's still in there, but increasingly less in control. And, and as if to demonstrate that fact, her internal monologue begins to break down. Um, but, but on top of that, like we talked about at the top, if you look how much the prose changes over these last two chapters, how, how it, it becomes more terse, more shorter sentences, um, we, we get we get this real fundamental feeling that this is not the same person. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the subtle humanity that Taylor injects into her thoughts, you know, on an ongoing basis, it's just not there at all. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, to start off, uh, Taylor makes her army retreat. She finds Ash Beast, an S-class threat with a matter energy conversion power. And uh, as she collects him, she thinks about how it's no loss if he dies, and if he survives, he can be discarded. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so now she organizes her army. She groups together ranged attackers, brutes, thinkers, tinkers, 
she decentralizes her groups from rounding them out, optimizing. She now has everybody except Contessa, the Blasphemies, Sleeper, and the Anchors. She's having trouble recalling why she's leaving the Anchors, though. Am I supposed to know what the Blasphemies are? I don't. Uh, all we know about them is, is, is that they're like non-parahuman um, creatures that, that look like three women. Huh. Um, but but we, we, I, I don't remember exactly how much we're told of them in, in the story but they're just kind of it's kind of like another like peripheral big threat that is <laughs> kind of kind of basically there to make the world seem more fleshed out and horrifying um, without yeah. actually having to dwell on it mission accomplished <laughs> yeah so now she starts to forget the names of capes she knows as she harasses scion he retaliates with a golden blast that she can't completely avoid and it wipes out ash beast trickster and athala and taylor doesn't give two shits yep not at all what an end for our boy Trickster, huh? After after all that, everything he went through wiped out as kind of collateral damage on an attack that was designed to kill someone else. This was designed to kill Ash Beast and he was just kind of kind of there. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to be said for the fact that he was this extremely manipulative guy who spent the rest of his days being manipulated and dominated by teacher and then manipulated and dominated by Taylor and then yeah. Yeah. killed. Yeah. Yep. She asks herself if she's going to be moral or efficient. Go ahead, Scott. I'll go get a drink of water while you uh, vent about this one. She already decided what she was going to be when she started doing this thing. This is not a decision. She's already made the decision. She's going to be efficient. Yeah. Taylor, stop even pretending like you're right. you're making a decision now. Right. It, it's more like the 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 shard just being like. Yeah. I'm going to give lip service to this idea of morality for a <laughs> yeah, second and yeah. then do what I was going to do anyway. Yeah. By the way, uh, we don't care about people anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She has to kill the, the enemy. Yep. So she decides, um, she has basically has a choice between sacrificing some random shapeshifter cape or acid bath who sucks. Uh, she lo- she locks sign in a word in a world with the shapeshifter using one of the dimensional isolation tools from Peter. So she knowingly sacrifices the shapeshifter instead of the terrible person. Yeah, which is as you said a callback specifically to the moment where he was like, "Hey, meat shields," and she was like, yeah. "No, that's not what these are." Oh, wait, <laughs> <laughs> it is it is now. Yeah, right. I'm wondering, like, like if we want to talk about like the difference between what Taylor is doing and a general ordering conscripted soldiers to their deaths for the greater good of the army. Um, and I, I guess like the, the big difference here, of course, is while they're under orders, <laughs> they still have control of their bodies. Um, but it is an interesting thing to think about, you know? Yeah. I mean, if anything, I don't know. I haven't thought this through too much. If anything, I'd feel that Taylor is actually more justified than the average general sending conscripts to their deaths because Taylor's actually legitimately fighting to save humanity, whereas the average general is fighting because, you know, it's war and you want your side to win, which is generally a less admirable high-level goal. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, her methods are obviously horrifying, but, um, you know, I mean, I I think the story makes the case that, that, like, they would have lost if she hadn't done this. So it's hard yeah. to, it, it's, it's one of the classic worm things where it's, it's like a, it's like a, yes, yet again, you make the utilitarian 
correct decision, I suppose, if you wave your hands and ignore certain things. But mm-hmm. uh, at, at the, the cost of, of humanity is so extreme in this case. Yeah. Um, that basically, uh, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that at the end when Taylor basically says all this. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So next she drops uh, 200 Earth's worth of bombs on Sion. <laughs> he follows the portal trail back to Classic Lanier and Taylor tries to shoot him with all of her available blasters. He dodges every shot and instantly counters, killing Lady Photon and Revel. Taylor feels the pain of this loss as if Taylor is one of her minions. Yeah, and that's, again, a confirmation that we really moved further on that Queen Administrator part of the spectrum, that, that Taylor is not really in control anymore and is just kind of uh, another tool in the swarm now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Taylor knows the dodge was a use of Scion's instant wind power. Something about that attack forced him to use it. A clue. Ooh. All right, so now is as good a time as any to just pause and appreciate the scope of this. So she's looking through the senses of capes like Number Man and Defiant, using telekinetics to rapidly push and pull people through portals so they can take pot shots, and using brute squads to absorb his hits and keep him occupied. And there are thousands of capes involved, thousands of powers with subtle distinctions that she's leveraging as she goes, multitasking. Yeah, yeah, it's it's insane. And and because I'm a movie guy, I kind of fall back on just how fucking unfilmable this whole thing is. I mean, I just I just don't know if you could do it in a way that actually captures the insanity of it. Um like Yeah. Screw you yeah, Avengers like, Infinity War. This is <laughs> this is like 20,000 times bigger. Yeah, I was thinking like you'd have to make some concessions. Like you, you, you right. could do certain, you could do some tricks. Like I was imagining, like what if the clairvoyance power had some sort of visual representation of like a, a thing that you like actually held in your hands? Because otherwise, how do you express what is being seen through the clairvoyant versus what is just a shot of somewhere else? Right, you know? right, yeah. I don't know. There's lots of details like that that are kind of like, how would you express this visually? But yeah. Um, yeah, so Sion gets mad enough that he uses his searing light attack, injuring a member of her swarm, and then follows it with a fatal stilling attack. Taylor locks him in another dimension without Alexandria for a reprieve. <laughs> Man, poor Alexandria. I mean, I know it's just her body. I know this is pretender, but things do not go well when Taylor locks is is locks someone in a room with Alexandria. <laughs> this is do not, yeah. do not go well. Yeah, yeah, not not well for Alexandria. That yeah, is. yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, I could feel the horror that was experienced by the bystanders. I knew that, given the choice, most would be running, but there was no reaction. Each and every one of them was grim, resolute, taking care of their injuries, getting the people who could tend to them, or helping others. Oh yeah, it's like look at that, man. It's humanity at its finest, helping each other out, resolute, taking care. Oh wait. You're just forcing them to do those things. It's not the same. The, yeah. The trick to making humans be- not behave like selfish assholes is to just remove their ability to function, to move. Yeah. Remove their humanity, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Problem solved. Good, good. Yeah, right. So Taylor sets to reviving the fallen, and he continues the fight. She drops them in a room with Bonesaw and revokes control over Bonesaw so she can do her thing, uh, which... Um, think reminded me of uh i think i was half expecting when we looked back in that room to see that bonesaw had stitched them all together into a giant uh multi-cape monster like she <laughs> talked about doing back in her first scene oh my god um, but no but no she actually just brought them back to life which is 
which is which is a nice little touch. Yeah. One of the many little tiny things where Don Saw actually is pretty clutch here. Yeah, yeah. As as found her way to Riley, and of course, yeah. just like everyone else, she has a long way to go. But she is taking steps to change, unlike Taylor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Changing in one direction. Yes. Yes. So Taylor realizes that they're fighting a losing battle, and she switches from using telekinetics to using Sephara orbit uh, to coordinate her attacks. Slyon emerges again, chunks of Alexandria's body falling around him. He destroys uh-huh. two different continents on two different Earths, and uh, Taylor uses Sephara to tr- uh, to dodge his attacks and then to strike. Two different continents, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now she sets all the tinkers together and uses zero to share their powers. So there's a few hundred tinkers, each with a mix of tinker powers, all working on a singular project. Their project is a giant gun meant to blast through the dimensional barrier that keeps Scion's well sealed away. Yeah, and in this moment, I can't help but uh, be reminded of Taylor's like long-standing annoyance with tinkers. Like she really hates tinkers and says multiple times throughout the story, "Fucking tinkers." Um, yeah. And we were kind of reminded of that last chapter when she fought Dragon too. She echoes the same sentiment. Now she's using their annoyingness to try to save the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, she's as uh, as Alex said, she's basically a kind of tinker anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so as uh, Taylor prepares to send more Nag into fight, she promptly has a stroke. More Nag, that is. Taylor pulls her back and realizes now that her whole army is on the verge of mental collapse. <laughs> She gives more nags to Panacea, but Panacea is gun shy about brains again. Yeah, I, re- I really, I really enjoy this moment. And as as we said a few chapters ago, as this battle expands, it is very easy to forget that these are individual people, and 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 they have been removed from control of their body, and but not their mind. And they and they're they're watching themselves without control, forced to stand toe to toe with the most powerful thing on the planet. And of course, there's real mental and physical effects that these things have. And and as I think you talked about before we we got on to record, this is this is where we realize this is her power here is just regents. This is what this yeah. is exactly what regent does. He takes control of your body, your nervous system, um, but not not your mind, not really. Yeah, right. He he, he leaves. He doesn't touch the gray matter, as he says. Um, yeah. And 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 that's. And, and of course, that is perfect, and this is the perfect time to talk about this, because Taylor was always so consistently on her high horse yep. about how immoral Regent's power was and how you can't... It's, I, I'm not even comfortable with us using it on Sophia. I mean, okay, I'm okay, we can use it on Sophia. <laughs> but but I'm, it's just so terrible, and you're such you're such a monster, Regent. You're, you know, you're, you're a fucked up guy, and... Yep. Uh, can't condone any of this, have some really mixed feelings about about this extremely limited use of this power that I now have and then <laughs> using without any kind of restraint yep. on everyone. Yep. And 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 this is this moment is one of those other things where like she's just realized that every of these five thousand capes that she has under her control, they're all on the verge of complete mental breakdown. And it and it serves as a moment of where a person could maybe sit there and pause and say, and wait a minute, wait a minute, what am I doing here? What, what, this is how cruel this is to people, but not, not Taylor, not queen administrator. She just, uh, just toolboxes her way to a solution. Um, she says, no, the solution here is not to halt what I'm doing. Let's just pull canary in here and she can sing them a soothing song that will calm down their brain from having a panic attack and, 
freaking out so much that they will stroke and die. Problem solved. Moving on. Yeah, and I think even if Taylor had been of sound mind and been like, oh, this is really bad, and this this is terrible, but you know what? I, I'm, I'm making progress. If I let go of everyone now, we're just going to die. So yeah. I'm going to bite the bullet and I'm going to continue this fight anyway. Like, no, she doesn't think anything like that. She's right. just like, oh, uh, okay, yeah, let me uh, manipulate their brains now. <laughs> yeah. Also, yep. like it's she doesn't feel bad for them at all, which is, again, this this is more indication that this isn't really Taylor because Taylor would, I think feel bad for them or have some kind of angst about it at least. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think, I think Taylor would have a, a difficult time getting to this explanation. Not that she wouldn't get there, but I think it would be much more of a difficult time getting to this, uh, this justification. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've left justifications well behind. <laughs> yeah. So Scion now appears to be going after her explicitly. She flees, leaving Case 53s in her wake and using Scrub and Labyrinth to change the channel on the portals. But he goes right for her, using his own path to victory power. This is the trouble with being on top. You're all al- alone when it counts. Hi, my name is Taylor, and I prioritize power over all my relationships, and then I am sad when I find myself alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that works out, huh, Taylor? Yeah. It's funny. Strange. Funny. We uh we got, we glance over for a moment and we see the panacea is healing more nag. Yeah, yeah. So so she dropped off um more nag and panacea was very hesitant because she didn't she she did brains again and uh and that didn't that didn't work out well with Taylor. Um, are, are we like is Taylor is Amy still free of her control? This is this is panacea making the decision to once again do this for the greater good. Do you know? I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, I think I think she's not under her control because yeah. I think in a second, like we look in, we kind of verify that Taylor has not touched the um, anchor capes. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, she tries to use cuff and foil to put a physics breaking disc in his path, um, and then she pulls together all the precogs and joins them with zero to try to predict his attack. And then when she pulls together the precogs, she sees one of them, Dinah. It turns her head. To see her face, and she saw me in turn. I could see myself in her eyes. I'm sorry, you're different. I felt the chill. And then she sends a uh, foil cuff and canary to be with Tattletail. She can't remember if this is part of her rules or if she's succumbing to sentiment, but she does it anyway. Yeah, yeah. So the the Dinah moment, Matt. I mean, that's really that's really tough. I mean, like Taylor was so indignant at what Cool Coil was doing to Dinah. The the idea yeah. that he would kidnap her and, and take take her and then ply yeah. her with drugs to control her mind yeah. um, to get to her use, more compliant yeah, to use her power yeah that's literally that's literally what's happening here in every way yeah and it's it's devastating like this was this was the the driving force of the first half of this story was to keep this girl up, away from this and now here she is in the, in the middle of it again and this time it's taylor that's doing it and and I, like I, I, you talked about, she can't even remember if if like protecting the anchors is rules or if she's succumbing to sentiment. And that idea, that idea of succumbing to sentiment, that is feels like quintessential queen administrator to me. Like again, we're getting confirmation that she's kind of taking control, and and she's really disappointed in herself when she thinks she's succumbing to sentiment. That's all the shard to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's very. 
very subtle shading into this completely other character, really. I mean, right. that, that's how it reads to me. Yeah. So now Scion is, is in her plane and flying straight for her. She watches her friends appear to accept that she's about to be killed, but she can't even interpret their gestures of farewell. Her thoughts are now stuttering and fragmented by default. So Tattletail does this, like, kiss goodbye thing, right? Like, it's a, she can't mm-hmm. even... She can't even tell what it is, but she touches her fingers to her lips and then waves it. So it's a kiss goodbye. And I don't like, I don't, I'm probably reading too much into this, but there's like, that's a really weird way of one of her closest friends to say goodbye to her. This like over-exaggerated farewell kiss. And part of me wonders if in this moment, Lisa's just like still super frustrated with Taylor. Like she's still in this place where she's like, I love you, Taylor. I care for you. I'm sad. This is, this is the end. But also you fucking did all this. And it didn't even work, and now you're going to die, and you've left us screwed. And I don't know. I don't know if, if I'm reading too much into that. But it just seems weird that, like, like Rachel's is to just look into her dog and, like, look away and, and stare at her dog. Uh, Imp, I think they say, is talking, probably saying something sarcastic. And it, this over-exaggerated, tattletale farewell kiss. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that... that the- I don't know. The only way Tattletail would make a big dramatic gesture like that would be sarcastically. Like I can't imagine her doing that seriously. Right, so right. I kind of agree with your take that it's, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I admit that I never really read into it before, uh, before you, before you pointing it out. So, well, in that case, I will accept myself as right. Okay. That sounds good. There we go. Um, yeah. So she thinks about her plan to take advantage of the fact that none of Sion's future projections included a world where the humans work together he rushes her and he grips her throat with his bare hand and he chokes her which is yeah it's a uh, freaking intense yeah so Foyle moves to shoot him but taylor stops her with her bugs scion sees the gesture though and he teleports to the undersiders threatening her friends he destroys destroys Foyle's weapon before she can fire so one of the many many things that is rewarding on rereads is is noticing that foils attacks are the only ones that Sion consistently tries to dodge, deflect, or prevent in general. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is a really cool beat, and then we'll see how Taylor kind of maneuvers her way to understand that here in a minute. But um, I, I like this moment because <laughs> Sion could have just killed her here. He could yeah. have it, and things would have been over. He would have won, but he didn't. Why? Because he didn't want to just kill her. He wanted her to suffer. And it's like it's his human side wanting satisfaction that is his downfall. And we see it right here. He had her. It was over. And he he wanted to enjoy it. He wanted to torture her. And that is what leads eventually to his death. Yep. Yep. Because he uh, he threatens her friends and this causes her to desperately use all of her blaster capes to fire through portals at him this time. He doesn't dodge, and uh, he just takes the hits and, and, and knocks her away. So she thinks, what was different between that and the last time I tried that? And then she realizes, well, the difference is that Foil wasn't in the group. So she combos ballistic and Foil and fires his thing into used rocket scion, and he does dodge this one. Yeah, like I said, this this is this is really great, and and uh, like I almost forgot that we knew about Sting, but but Taylor doesn't. And I, I had kind of forgotten that. Like, you, you have information and you kind of assume, well, I have it now. Everyone knows it. But but we have Taylor find it in, like, almost like a scientific way of, like, testing. It's like, okay, um, I shot all the things at it and he dodged. Then I shot all the things at it but one and he didn't. And then I shot one and he did. 
And it's like, huh, conclusion, this thing, this thing is good. Use this thing. Uh, yeah. It's a really cool way of, of, of drilling down to the information in a very believable way. Yeah, I agree. Tiller manages to slip away and continues attacking with her swarm. She notices that Bonesaw finished reviving the sealed capes, which is nice. Um, and then she changes the Tinkers to a new task, building a weapon. She uses capes with special powers like Sundancer and Shellier. At this point, the Inbringers swoop in, Seamurg, Leviathan, Tohu, and Bohu. Yeah, and, and Scott cheered in this moment, <laughs> momentarily forgetting that this entire fight is at the expense of all these poor people that Taylor has regented into her control. Um, the most interesting thing about this, though, is that Taylor does not cheer in this moment. Because to her, this isn't a just about winning. This is about humanity winning with humanity's own strength. She wants humans to prove that they have the strength to win and the Endbringers are not humans. So she does not want their attack to be successful. Yeah, right. She wants to secure the victory for, for humanity and sort of for herself, right? She wants to prove humans are strong enough to do this, even if I have to make them, is what she yeah. says. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So she prepares for another attack, and suddenly Scion's partner appears on the battlefield. The Garden of Flesh, all attached to a human-sized body. A third entity? Taylor is terrified, and I think so are we. Yeah. But Scion and Taylor realize the truth at the same time. The apparition is bastard, altered by panacea, and Scion completely loses his shit. He shatters the landmass New Brockton Bay rests on, almost destroying the cabin, uh, but she uses Ziggurat to stop the spread. Yeah, this was <laughs> a brilliant play by Tattletale, um, and the cruelest trick of all, giving Scion a moment of hope, and then snatching that away from him. Um, it's time. It's time, Matt. It's time to bully the bully. That's right. Yeah, Tattletale is 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 good at that kind of uh, psychological manipulation. Yep. But uh, Taylor is the one who really has a PhD in bullying, um, <laughs> ultimately, because it gives Taylor the idea. This is the weak point. This is what she needs to exploit. Um, but as she prepares to as she prepares to attack to exploit this weakness, her portals start to drop, and she realizes that she's tapped out Doormaker as well. Could things get any worse, Scott? Yes. Yes, Matt. Yes, oh, yes okay. they could. This is Worm. They can always yeah. get worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this is a definite all is lost moment in, in a series of all is lost moments. So. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So we go to thirty dot six. And she retreats to another rooftop, hiding in an apocalyptic cloud of bugs on a building in New York City of Bet. Her swarm is mostly freed now, and Taylor's aware that with every passing moment, it's more likely that the people around her will turn on her. Uh, around here, she begins to really start dropping names. Even her own non-italic inner monologue can't find the right words, and Bonesaw becomes the child surgeon, and Rachel becomes dog girl. Yeah, when she can't even remember Rachel's Rachel's name, that really devastated me. That that kind of that kind of broke me. Um, Rachel of all yeah. people, she can't. This this is it. This is the end. This is our low point. Um, Taylor yes. ha Taylor has lost all of her anchors. Um, she sacrificed everything, her humanity, thousands of others for this, and now her control over there is um, there is broken. She can't even talk to them. And there's this real feeling that in moments they're gonna all break apart, attack each other, turn on each other, flee. The resistance will be broken. The world will be over, and everything will have been for nothing. And that's where we are here at the start of this this penultimate chapter. Yeah, and in this moment, she 
she claws her own face trying to feel something. And she decides that she'll just have to wait, see what happens next, which is not an option that appeals to her. Yeah, but it is it is not it is very not Queen Administrator, right? To wait. Mm-hmm. Um and I think this shows that while yeah, we've definitely shifted way, way to the right on that spectrum, we're not completely there. Taylor's still still really there in some sense. Um and it and it ends up being waiting and waiting and seeing ends up being probably the most important decision she makes in these final moments. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So it's quiet. Uh, she's overwhelmed by violent thoughts, maggots and eyeballs, executing a man, all of those things that we've been so unfair to her about. But she also hears a soothing female voice from somewhere. Ah, a voice, a voice. And and I think at first, I don't know about you, but I assumed that was that was Taylor. Then in there somewhere, with this was this was a battle between Queen Administrator and Taylor, and Taylor's trying to reassert control or something. But the, the truth is, is it's much different. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so she looks to her anchors again. Uh, Dog Girl stares at the absence of the portal that separated her from the wolf pup. Phone Girl uh, uses her phone. Uh, when when Rachel's looking at the portal, wondering what happened to her dog, uh, I, I, we never get confirmation on this, but I have to assume that that Bastard is possibly dead. Um, that they're separated by the portal. Bastard just became... Um, became a representation of the one thing Scion wants the most. So it seems logical to me that in that rage he would he would try to kill it. But I don't know. We yeah. don't actually get confirmation. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure at all. Uh, yeah, so Taylor still has the clairvoyant and can watch everyone, um, although she can't control them. Mm-hmm. She's observing the potential allies, potential enemies, the fairy queen, the blasphemies are the enemies she notices. She watches through the clairvoyant Scion finish off Leviathan. The other inbringers are on their heels. Taylor decides that she needs to look at to the capes she's overlooked entirely. That's which at this point is very vague, but on rereads you understand what the significance of this is. Yeah. Chevalier steps forward below her to make a speech, and she uses this distraction to slide down the escape tube attached to the building. The small mysterious voice that accompanies her is not happy about this. <laughs> Oh, man, I love Chevalier in this moment, in this broken, hopeless moment. Everyone is suffering unimaginable trauma after what Taylor has just put them through. And he steps forward and attempts to rally the troops to deliver another inspiring speech to be a hero. And I think, like, if you look at this chapter in particular, you see Taylor is going to continue to use her power to take control of people. But you see that that the people have unified in a kind of way that that people are behaving outside of Taylor's control to help that, that as much as she was afraid that things are going to completely break down and turn into chaos and the resistance will falter completely. That doesn't happen. And this is kind of the first sign of that, 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 that in this moment when everyone could have just turned and attacked each other or turned and ran, uh, a lone person stands up and tries to bring everyone together with leadership, not, body control yeah yeah it makes us appreciate chevalier too because he's been yeah. controlled just like everyone else and he's yeah. like all right like back to it guys so yeah uh taylor as she's sliding down she's she's thinking and she's searching for anchors and she tries to grab onto a spider thread but she's worried that that using that as an anchor will lead her down an even worse road and she imagines i saw myself haggard thin with minions in a similar state eating bugs, wearing bugs, and their materials barely human. My mind more like an insect's. Um, I guess I guess there are worse places to go than where she's currently at. Dear yeah. Lord. 
Yeah, this is a great this is a great image. It's just kind of thrown in there. Yeah, um, yeah. So now she approaches her friends at street level. Tattletale tries to speak to her to communicate something, but gradually realizes how far gone her friend is. Imp appears near her, and Taylor realizes that this is the voice that's been keeping her company. <laughs> what a reveal. What a reveal. Yeah. Matt, this imp came out of nowhere as a character. This this silly comedic relief plot device type of character, um, this this plot device for Brian, this 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 companion for Regent became this complicated, nuanced character who chose to to stick by Taylor and see things through with her and help her where she could because she realized that's where she was needed the most. And like I you don't see this coming. You don't see this coming. And I think that as I as I say, you don't see this coming. It's like that's just perfectly fucking meta that Wild Bo created this character that almost comes out of nowhere that you you is 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 having this arc in the background the entire time and it's not until the very end that you realize that they're having it and that's just classic imp yeah yeah it's it's a really beautiful moment and and like you said one of the things that you really enjoy rereading is all the times when she's she hears a voice and it even continues from now because uh after this point imp kind of goes back into stealth mode and keeps helping uh, from 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 the the shadows yeah, yeah. But it's actually Rachel who manages to communicate with her. The girl who couldn't understand people can connect with Taylor now because now neither of them can understand people. She throws Taylor a chain and they use it to walk Doormaker out of her range. Uh, Taylor and Rachel communicate something between them and Tattletail is upset that she couldn't, she couldn't be the one to reach uh, Taylor. What's your uh, interpretation on what they were communicating to each other? I'm, I'm really not too sure exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, it's something to do with like, uh, like I either I think it, I think my interpretation is they're trying to say what happened to Doormaker's power. Um, what? Like, yeah, yeah. Like what? I, I think, what happened I, to him? I think the first part is Taylor communicating like that. They're basically communicating like, "Why did you stop? I stopped because his power stopped working." But then beyond that, I'm not sure if there's like a further ask that Taylor is making of, of Rachel or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, it makes me so sad to see Lisa kind of hurt by her inability to connect with Taylor in this moment. And, and like, especially because right after that moment, we see Taylor, like treat Lisa as her final anchor. Like yeah. she says, like she, I, I, I don't remember why, but she saved me in a certain sort of way. And she's like her last, her last human grip on humanity. And, yeah. and Tattletale can't see that. And that's really sad. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's heartbreaking. So now Sion reaches New York City bet, and the fighting continues, this time much less organized, obviously. She still has the clairvoyant, and she starts running. She collects Perrion and foil and uses the stuffed animal for mobility. She lures in and grabs Canary and tells Tattletail to use the phones to propagate her song through all the phones in the area. Next, she gets Narwhal and comes up upon Dinah's group, uh, Faultline's crew. But the young precog said something and stepped forward as they parted to give her room. She spoke one word, my name, I was pretty sure. What was my name? Did it start with a T sound? An S? A W? An M? So Taylor, Skitter, Weaver. What's that M, Matt? You think that's think that's monster? I think so. She's been calling yeah. herself a monster for so long. Yeah. I mean, especially this arc, she's just, that yeah. she calls herself, you know, a monster just as often as, as anything else. In fact, she doesn't, yeah, she that's that's because she doesn't you know name herself she doesn't name her new identity yeah 
Hey Matt, go go to your uh, bathroom and say Taylor Hebert <laughs> in the dark in the mirror until you. No, no please don't. <laughs> it's really dark in here. Please don't say that. Uh, uh, and and she 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 thinks she can't speak, of course, but she she thinks to Dinah um, in extremely like stuttering, you know, uh, skewed speech. Uh, you set me on this road you owe me this don't get in my way now yeah and as much as what taylor is doing and what taylor has to do here is destroying me i think this is a, a pretty good point like dinah you pushed her towards this you saw this and kind of led her there um let her let her finish it now yeah it's, she's gone I, too far now and i think dinah kind of knows like this is the good outcome <laughs> You as know, crazy this, as that sounds yeah yeah like oh oh shit okay and then that's why she kind of just gives up taylor sends the note to her i'm sorry and the group parts <sighs> yeah and she uses narwhal to grab labyrinth and scrub she doesn't want dinah she she just wants labyrinth and scrub because she uses them to rapid fire generate portals like the original one in brockton bay to sneak around the battlefield and grab who she needs to grab she collects golem to genesis ballistic and sephara Zafara puts up a fight, comes close to killing her, actually, but Imp clowns him, and Taylor grabs him. She grabs a horde of changers next. She yeah, uses yeah. all these... Yeah, yeah, that, that was that was fun. She uses all these capes to to uh, make a veritable swarm of fake entities, variations on the theme, different colors, steel skin, golden alabaster, and Scion is staggered again, still raw, still, still not adapting to this form of attack. And, uh, and she thinks... Again, super stuttering speech, or, or thought rather. Strength we have, you do not. We deal with the, with, with lots of pain in our lives. Um, and so basically, she knows this is true. Like, and, yeah. and she, she, she's the example of this. Like, she's, she's someone who's had to deal with so much pain that, that she can handle having terrible things thrown in her face. Uh, but Sion's never had to deal with any of this. And, yep. and this, and, and so, yeah, so she hammers it home. She, she changes the world around him. Her friends help other capes not under her control catch on and the surroundings become a tessellation of faces. And then her body begins to fail and only her minions can hold her up. And, and she sees in Sion fury giving way to fear. He fought back. That was a fairly normal thing. A lot of people fought back when they faced something like this. A lot of people like to think they could fight back up until it stopped. Yeah, T Taylor would know, right? Yeah. Um, these types of people tend to underestimate the tenacity of the well and truly fucked up individuals of this world. Yeah, and again, Taylor would know, right? Yep. Uh, yep. So uh, now, Seymour arrives and adds the display, and this is basically what pushes him to breaking. He stops fighting, and he's just hunched in the sky, fetal, rotating, shaking. He's... Uh, Scott, he's in the locker. Matt, I was joking when I said that. <laughs> I, I was joking. Um, yeah, but the, you're, you're right. That's exactly what they're doing here. That Scion is being bullied and traumatized, but he's he's not equipped to deal with it. Taylor throws Scion's dead mother, partner, maternal friend thing at him, but he's not strong, not in this way. He is a child with emotions he does not fully understand. And those emotions are being beaten up against him again and again. He's not smart. He's the warrior. He's not equipped to process these kind of things. 
and he's alone. He has no parents. He has no friends. He has no one to lean on, nobody to support him, no one to pull him away from the brink. Taylor had her father, and then and then Lisa, and then the rest of the Undersiders. Rachel ha- had Taylor. Hell, even Emma had Sophia in a weird, misguided, terrible kind of way, but they had someone to be their strength and help them. Sion has nobody and nothing. And and if it's true that it's some part of Taylor never really left that locker she was shoved into, then it must be true that Sion has no capacity to see beyond it at all. And it's it's tragic in its own kind of way. It's like this is this is the great evil and you almost feel bad for him. Yeah, I think you 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 do kind of feel bad for the human part of him. And that's yeah, what's funny yeah. is is uh you know, you're you're seeing Taylor hurt someone the way she was hurt and yeah he's like an alien but yeah but the, the the fact that he's susceptible to this trauma means that he has that much humanity yeah and and you're right that that capes that are not being controlled are helping out um bullying trauma this is the thing that started all this and and it's the common thread that connects all these capes all these people it's not taylor it's not her mental control it's their shared trauma that they've all gone through they know what it feels like and they know how to take it and you better fucking believe that they know how to dish it out <laughs> yep yeah so suddenly um classic when sees that things are turning sour for her her mentor uh so she opens up she begins opening up portals um it, it looks like she apparently murdered doormaker for his shard yeah, probably yeah it's a safe assumption i think i mean we didn't see anything else happen to him so uh yeah uh and she's giving everyone an escape route basically she's she's just opening up exits and hoping everyone runs away so Zion can can recover himself she sees how close he is to defeat she wants everyone to retreat so er- everyone starts to flee avoiding scion's indiscriminate attack and they end up at a stonehenge of portals um Taylor, though, uses Labyrinth and Scrub to sneak up on Glassic Wenyer and seizes her, then uses Doormaker again to find Oliver, the boy who took the dose that makes him seem more human. Sion reacts to him. Even through all the trickery, all the false, all the false images, his face still gives Sion hope. Just enough hope that he's crushed completely when that hope dies. Yeah, and it's in this moment that I remembered every one of those times that Emma brought up Taylor's mom just to hurt her. Yeah. Um, the first moment, what's the matter, Taylor? You look upset. So upset you're going to cry yourself to sleep for a straight week, reminding her of, of the secret she told her when she lost your mom. Or, or, or back in Arc 20 when Emma said, you killed your mom. Remember, you were at our house when you got the call. You were supposed to call your mom. She was dialing for you when she got in the accident. And, and this is what... This is what Taylor has seen, and this is what Taylor has experienced, and this is, in this moment, how she comes up with the idea to dish it back at him one final time. And holy shit. Yeah. So ultimately, I guess Emma was the one who saved humanity. Okay, let's not let's not <laughs> go that far. All right, all right, I'll table that one. So Taylor, now having crippled him mentally, infuses iron rods with sting from from foil and fires them uh, through scion with ballistic a hole is punctured into his well the tinkers defiant in command fire their weapon scion is scoured away 
Matt, so throughout throughout all this whole thing, she's forgotten everyone's name. She doesn't remember everyone's name except for Scion, which kind of makes sense because he is her whole remaining focus. But yeah. in this moment, when Defiant pulls that trigger, she calls him Defiant. He yeah. is the only name Taylor uses in this entire chapter besides Scion's. Yeah. And that means something. I mean, and we look back, we think defiant was really the first cape she interacted with she fought long but she defiant was the beginning of all this the first conversation she had with the cape the the first step along her her journey was through arms master and yeah so it's kind of fitting that he's like the last name that she remembers as she descends into this yeah and i think it's cool that she even knows that it's defiant and not arms master like she's giving him the the recognition of being the person who he's chosen to be yeah Another thing, a beat that I skipped over was the fact that the Tinkers kept working on this weapon even after she lost control of them. Yeah, which is which is just a cool like fist bump moment. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I think you know this novel's view on humanity is pretty mixed. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it's it's definitely fully admitting that we are a selfish, violent people who would just as soon turn on each other as help each other. But while we are bad, I think it's saying that there are, there is part of us that is very good. And in this moment, we see the best in humanity. We see the ones that Taylor is not controlling, like we said, still realize what, what needs to be done and step up and do it. And I think, I think, you know, Taylor's, we finally, everyone's working together. That was not a real victory. This, this kind of is. Yeah. And I, yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scott, the world is a good place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part anyway. <laughs> um, oh, that's such a good quote. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah. So this chapter wraps up with uh, Lasting Winye breaking free of her control, manipulating the interaction between her power and Taylor's. Um, but once she's free, she does nothing to attack. She, She's just sort of despondent. Yeah. And, and it goes to... Um, I staggered. The emotion around me was too much. I pushed people away, and they bumped into one another. Some left my range. Only a handful remained. I didn't recognize a single one, even the one holding my hand. I couldn't shake the feeling. I'd somehow betrayed myself, and I wasn't even sure who I was. It was over, and I was finally, and I was free to finally lose my mind. And thus ends the penultimate chapter. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Of yeah. this arc, and this. Yeah. Yeah. This. Right. Besides epilogue, it works. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, they won, you know, and and it's and it's awesome. Um, it's but... it's it's so, it is awesome, and it's a victory, and yeah. it it feels that way, but it's also horror. Like it's it, like yeah. it's our character, the the girl that we have been with for a million plus words. I was finally free to lose my mind. And we'll see as we move into the next chapter that that she has. Yeah, yeah, because I don't think anyone finishes that, you know, that chapter, and they're like, "Oh, good, yes, Cyan's dead." And yeah, just, like woo. walk away. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like no, no, that Cyan doesn't even matter. I, I, I need to find out what happens to Taylor. Yep. Like this, this character who we love so much. Yep. That's that's what we really care about. So thirty dot seven, and yeah, Taylor has completely lost the plot. Uh, people start screaming, uh, sorry, streaming in and gradually realizing that they've won. 
And to her, they're all potential enemies, strangers. She recognizes no one. Yeah, Matt, uh, this is this is probably one of the hardest single chapters of a book I've ever had to read. Um, and it's it's like especially since you know it was coming. Like as as we've been talking about all throughout this this podcast, or this this episode at least, that we've been we've been moving along this Taylor Queen administrator spectrum over the the course of this arc, and and chapter seven is the last one we're here. And now it's like we're fully to the right where we're our, our protagonist right now. Our point of view right now is the shard. We, this is no longer Taylor. And it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. And and as the shard, she realizes that she can really only function as long as there's conflict. And so she she turns into that. She thinks uh, some of them would kill me the second they thought they could get away with it. Others would be scheming. I had power. They wanted that power for themselves. They'd take it like my portal man was taken from me. They'd take all of it. And then a bit later, I was just a little unhinged. My perceptions were broken. I knew that. But if I had to live like this forever, if everyone was a threat for the rest of my life, I'd well and truly lose it. Stopping them, eliminating them, and bringing them under my control, that was the only uh, the only way we'd achieve anything resembling peace. Yes, Yes, Queen Administrator, this uh, this makes perfect logical sense. This yeah, right. not at all it's, terrifying. Yeah, it's just like perfect. It's just smoothly, smoothly without any like real unbelievable jumps segued from I am Taylor Hebert and I'm going to defeat Scion by leveraging this new power to I'm going to permanently control everyone and just yeah to ensure peace. Yeah, yeah, to ensure peace and, and my own security, basically. Um, the soothing voice is still there though, trying to soothe her. Oh, imp never give up. But, but even here we see it's, it's Taylor's too far gone. Cause yeah. she says, I, I heard the voice in my ear. It was trying to sound soothing, gentle, but it was failing. I heard the fear in it. The fear was reassuring in a way. It told me I was right, that the world did revolve around fear and violence, that I was doing the right thing, standing guard, being ready for a fight at any moment. And it's like, ugh. It's even imp, even imp soothing voice. It's too late for now. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, Taylor interprets their gazes as hostile and their cheers and hugs as violent rioting. Oh yeah, and this is so heartbreaking. Like after everything she's done, she can't even participate in the celebration that she helped create. She can't even recognize it. It it can't be celebration. It can't be happiness. It can't be people hugging and being happy. To the queen administrator. There is only conflict and only violence, so that's all it can be. Yeah, well, yeah, that's all she can see. Teacher then arrives and tries to communicate again. He even takes a personal risk, putting himself in disguise under her control, offering to let her use his power in order to communicate. Um, Taylor, um, wanting to make a point, attacks him with her knife, slashes his palms and his forearms, Imp, uh, completely now unrecognized by Taylor, tries to stand in her way, and Taylor seizes control of her and then has her press her knife point to the roof of her mouth. No, not an imp. Yeah, I know. So yeah, she uh, she um, she slashes him up, and, and then this actually causes her to notice the lack of blood from the fighting that she's perceiving around her. Uh, but she she doesn't draw any conclusions from that. She can't, yeah. they can't hedge her tails from it. Yeah. 
And she thinks of her remaining minions as her swarm now. Um, and and uh, the queen administrator has a mission now to take control, own, eliminate problematic elements. Then everything would be peaceful. And I think this may be, I may be completely wrong here, but now is the point when she just consistently thinks of it as her swarm. It's, it's not even like my minions, it's my swarm. Yeah, I mean, there's. I think there's other moments, but yeah, I think consistently, yes, you are correct. She doesn't... Yeah even refer to them she doesn't differentiate between the bug swarm and the, the people swarm anymore yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I don't really have a lot to say in this moment except this is like totally heartbreaking we've been talking about that slippery slope since the beginning of this project and here at the end taylor saved the world she she did it she did it and this is all that's left of her and this is what i feared from the beginning of everything that that if she continued on this path she could destroy herself and she has. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, there's almost, you almost don't need to say much about it. It just kind of, yeah. it just kind of is what it is. It is. Um, yeah. It's not, it's not going to stop us though. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's really powerful. Yeah. So yeah, she sees her friends, the undersiders and she, she can't, she can't dismiss them, uh, as, as threats. If they were that important, they couldn't be weak. That meant they were potential threats. So that's basically, <laughs> The fact that they were that they were anchors in the first place has now caused her to regard them as being high level threats that yeah. she needs to take care of. Yeah. Rachel holds out the pepper spray, and the queen doesn't even recognize it. Yeah, and there's the end of our three beat. Right, that this this symbol of Taylor is now no different than any other object. It's just a meaningless yeah. thing, as if to yeah. completely say that is not Taylor. Yeah. Right, yeah, it's completely, yeah. So the queen flies up into the sky, too many enemies all around. She finds the other queen floating, tears on her cheeks. And she thinks, I was familiar with my power acting of its own volition. This was something in that vein. My power had a firmer grip on the whole of me, and other things were on shakier ground, acting the way they pleased. Feelings, my body, passenger. No, why would it care about any of this? Why would it care about the winged woman? the two individuals who'd been writing the monster. Um, so you actually were the one who pointed out this bit and, and the importance of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, like she, she's referencing her passenger here as if it's something that still exists. And it's so funny that if you think about it, if, if queen administrator has taken control, then the passenger is now Taylor. Then the, the thing, um, uh, her power had a firm grip on the whole of me, meaning queen administrator and other things were on a shakier ground acting the way they pleased feelings. My body Taylor has control of those. Um, Taylor cares about the wink woman, about the two individuals who have been riding the monster. Taylor cares. Taylor is now the passenger. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the clearest indication is the, like T Taylor is afraid of, of the Seamurg. The yeah. queen administrator is not. And right. that's like, yeah. And, and of course, her positive feelings toward the, toward her friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the she flies up. She's she's near the fairy queen, and and lastly, Wenye is sad, defeated, not without sympathy. And she opens the door, uh, the door maker for Taylor. The queen administrator attempts to move through, bringing her swarm with her, but the other capes object, and she is somehow you know somehow decides slowly to let her minions go struggling with herself unsure of her motivations unsure of why she's even doing this unsure of what 
is passenger and what is not. Yeah. And it says, I watched the individual members of my swarm touch the ground. The girl with healing powers had been placed deliberately next to a living pool of flesh with multiple heads and golden hair. The healer's hands were covering her face, but she didn't step away. Her hands slowly lowered, and she laid her eyes on the monster, which was actively and effectually reaching out for her. What the fuck, Wildbow? Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Taylor, yeah. Taylor, in this moment, lays down Amy next to Victoria, and Victoria reaches up for her, and it's beautiful and tragic, and why? Why? Yeah, and, and it is beautiful because it shows the Queen Administrator would not have done that. No, so, yeah, no, so that's so that, all that, Taylor, yeah. Yeah, no. and and the queen the 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 point of view you know of the chapter has no idea why this happened. It's yeah, just, it's just she she had been placed deliberately. Yep. That's the that's the the passive voice. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, the autopilot takes over and directs her focus to look at Taylor's friends. At this point, the autopilot is Taylor. Yeah. Uh, the the undersiders, Sierra and Charlotte. She decides she will rest and recuperate, and then she can come back and take over the multiverse. <laughs> So she, she she breaks contact with the clairvoyant and then she passes out through the portal. Yeah. Good job, Taylor. Yeah. So she wakes up, possibly days later, under a starry sky. Outside her range, Contessa has her at gunpoint. Contessa uses her power to communicate successfully. Contessa tells her that she can't be allowed to exist. She's like Echidna, or the Fairy Queen, something too strong, too absorbed by the psychology of the Shard to be left alive. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. So, so Contessa's asking, would you do it all over again, knowing what you know now, knowing that you end up here at gunpoint? I know I'm supposed to say yes. The words made their way past my lips. But no. some Somewhere along the way, it became no. And then, in a, in a bit, don't, don't regret it. Was had to save lives. But I would do different, given a chance. She smiled, bobbing, up, bobbing her head up and down a little. It's always about the people, isn't it? Um, and, and then... Uh, she says, Condessa says, he doesn't factor. He isn't a consideration at the end. Fighting him always more about us than about him. Not a consideration. Uh, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this, I think this kind of perfectly distills things down for us, doesn't it? That, yeah. you know, uh, she doesn't regret it. She doesn't regret what she had to do. But just because you make choices for the greater good does not mean those are good choices. And I think that's what this is saying at the end, that, that y you make decisions and you make choices and you make sacrifices in order to do what you think in the end is the right thing. And even if you're right, even if the thing at the end of the road is victory, is success, you won, you saved the world, you stopped the evil... That doesn't mean that everything you did along the way was right. It doesn't. And Taylor yeah. looks at it and looks at it and says, yeah, I don't regret what I had to do. I don't regret what I did. But would I have done it differently? Yeah, 
Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, so I think if you go back through all of the old Reddit threads and look at my spoiler discussions, you'll see a lot of instances of, of people trying to defend action X, Y, or Z from Taylor and me saying, at the end of the story, she says that she would do things differently. Like, like um, I know she doesn't get to be the moral arbiter of the universe, obviously, but like, even by her own lights, she was making a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's like, I had, I had some people when I, when I pointed this out in, in Twitter say, well, but she won. And I, I know you're right. She won. Yeah. And Taylor's saying here, yes, I won. I don't regret it, but I would change things. I would do yeah. it differently. I still made mistakes. And that, that is what the book is saying. I think that, that, she could have done things differently. She could, I think she says, I would have pushed forward the true heroes. I would not have um, allied myself with the real bad people. I would not have emulated myself as these terrible people, as the bullies. Um, yeah. I, w- I would have people like Gollum, people who like, right. people like Chevalier, um, real heroic individuals. Yeah, I do think that's what she's saying. Uh, thanks for saying that, because that kind of clicks something into place. What she's saying when she says I would, I would ignore some people, may pay more attention to others. I think she is saying like less, less mental references to doing things the way Bakura does, more yeah. mental references to doing things the way Golem does, or, or, or even um, you know Miss Militia. Right, right. And I love, I love this line. Fighting him was always more about us than about him. I love, I love that. Yeah. This to Taylor, this was always about getting us together getting people to come together to defeat their problem together and she did it (laughs) um not in the best way yeah although you know like we said there is that little silver lining where i don't think they would have won if it hadn't been for the contributions of of a lot of people who weren't under her control absolutely and i think if you look we look back we see both sides of it we see Taylor had to control all these people to win. They would not have won if she didn't do this. But also, they would not have won if Tattletail didn't come up with the idea to transform Bastard into the Entity clone. Uh, they would not have won if the Tinkers hadn't continued to work on their weapon after they were released from her control. They would not have won if the other people in the area didn't catch on to what they were doing and make the choice to participate. So... It wasn't just that Taylor took control of every everyone. It was yes, part of that, but that wasn't just what led them to victory. Yeah, yeah. I think her her sacrifice was necessary, but not sufficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So so now Contessa asks her what her anchors are because she knows that um, that if Taylor knows what those anchors are, then that's a good indication that there's something left to Taylor there, but. Whatever is left of Taylor can't remember a single one of them. And apparently, Plastic Wenye was doing her best to help Taylor, seeing something of herself in the other queen. And, yeah. uh, yeah, this is, this is the part where I started actually, like, tearing up while doing my synopsis and had to, like, take a break. Because <laughs> I thought, like, this part just always kills me. Yeah. Um, the Contessa tells her that she thinks she has the capacity to come back from this. She asks if Taylor has something bigger, something more fundamental that was an anchor. Was she really a monster, an alien, a bully, or was she working from good intentions? And 
and the choice is Taylor's. She she has to win the fight on her own. She has to take control from the shard. The Taylor finds that she can't can't reply, and that uh, Contessa says, "It's okay. I got the answer myself." I looked away. I looked up. My eyes were wet. So many stars. The universe so vast. We're so very small in the end. And and then through the gap in her mask, where she has let her hair free, the last part of her that is that is Taylor. Um, her hair is where uh, Contessa shoots her twice. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. So what's that final? What's that final anchor? What's that bigger thing, Matt? I don't know. I mean, I have some ideas, but yeah. I mean, yeah. We were actually talking about this in the in the in the Discord because I got to this point and I was like, I don't actually know what this final anchor is. So we were kind of chatting right. about it. Yeah. Um, I had, I had some ideas, but uh, not too confident in in any of them i i think i think somebody somebody's answer was uh i'm sorry i can't give them credit because I, I can't remember right now but somebody's answer is basically herself um which uh made more sense at the time i'm not sure if yeah. i can explain it i think that i think i think herself i think i think this idea this idea of humanity as at its best like mm-hmm. it, it was because she says it herself in the earlier fighting him was always more about us. This was always about us working together. This idea, this idea that we could come together as a people and fight against something that was threatening all of us was the strongest pull for throughout this book. The, 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 there was the idea that, that, and, and yes, she was misguided in that, in that she said, <laughs> I have to be the front of it. I have to be the one to make the call. I have to be the one to do it i am best equipped to bring people together and she ends up being right um but I, that that's kind of what i got from it that this I, this idea of a united humanity was the the one thing that kept her going and and that mission um in the end she she didn't lose herself fully until scion was defeated until the mission was over yeah yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, there's the the whole her, her whole character really was around this idea of, you know, when she had her territory, it was this idea that that people could be strong and safe if they were together and, yeah. and unified. And mm-hmm. uh, that's yeah, that's that's fundamental to her. I think I'm trying to think if there's anything before that. I mean, she wanted to be a hero, so you can kind of hand wave and say like, oh, she wanted to be a hero. That was her original mission. But it's like, well, her way of being a hero was always protecting people by getting them to to protect each other basically yeah but i think stand together i think that that question that that contessa says kind of suits that was she really a monster an alien a bully or was she working from good intentions was she the things that she became she became the alien when the queen administrator took over she became a bully and she became a monster in order to win. But are you really those things? Is that really the core of your identity? Or is that something that you became because of the trauma and because of the necessities of this world? What are you underneath that are? Uh, all of that. What and, and I think underneath all that, I think Taylor is a hero. And I think that that 
was her primary motivating factor from the beginning. This, this idea that she wanted to be a hero. And yes, she stumbled along the way and she, she lost herself and her ability to do that. And she made sacrifices upon the altar of that heroism incorrectly, I think. But underneath it all, I think that's who Taylor is. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I wonder, so in this moment, like, and I assume like we still have an epilogue left. So some of the, these questions are going to be answered. I know I'm about to say stuff that you really can't speak to yet, but she's, she's like, are you, are you going to be able to be that hero underneath? And Taylor says nothing. She can't reply to it. Um, but she does say, I don't think I'm worth it. I don't think I'm worthy of that. And that on its own is, is a form of hero, of heroism, right? Like, like I have this thing inside me. Can you come back from this? Like this thing is terrible. It needs to go. Either you admit that you can't control it and I'll kill you or, um, you, you try to come back and fight back. And she doesn't specifically say she's going to fight back, but she does admit that kind of, I'm not worth saving at this point. And that is like, once again, her willingness to sacrifice herself for the greater good is, is a form of heroism here. So it, like, I don't, I don't know. Like there, there, if anyone has a possibility of shooting a particular part of the brain out that will remove a shard power thing, but not kill someone, it's Contessa, Path to Victory Lady. Um, so I, question whether or not she's dead dead in this moment or not um i think i think it could work thematically either way that that taylor's tragedy is that she had to sacrifice herself and and she at at the end her rest is her death but i also kind of like the idea that in the desire to say okay it's it's probably better off if i just die now she has proved her heroism and contessa is going to help her to a a a form of life after this i don't know i don't know maybe we'll learn in the in the epilogue i kind of hope so yeah i'm, I'm definitely not going to directly <laughs> address any of that that's um, fair although you know i i think i think your, your your notion that she she's basically saying like no there's nothing left of me you should just kill me is actually showing that there is something left of her i think that's right. a beautiful observation yeah yeah absolutely because yeah. to, to yeah there has to be some something left of you in order to even consciously make that that yeah. that observation of herself that, yeah that sacrifice which is what taylor is all about is right. sacrificing herself the queen administrator is not yeah the queen administrator will sacrifice everyone else to ensure her own survival and her own peace of mind we saw that in this chapter yeah that yeah. is that is a that is a choice that is a thought that is fundamentally taylor yeah 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 cool all right yeah that's uh that's that's the end that's it yeah Holy did shit. you did yeah I, I don't think we need to do any name game today no um, did, i mean i guess you... they called her kepri so we can yeah. we've kind of already done that <laughs> um yeah yeah I... we can talk about the fact that everyone lost their minds <laughs> when you offhandedly mentioned kepri back in the scarab arc i didn't know i was doing that i'm sorry <laughs> like i just googled scarabs and they were talking about a scarab god that rolls poop across the, the sky like yeah. the sun and i was like huh that, i guess that kind of makes sense what we're talking about here um, yeah. I'm sorry for driving everyone crazy. I honestly did not know. Yeah. Using your thinker nine. <laughs> I don't think so. I think, powers. I think that's called a coincidence. Story analysis powers. 
Um, I think it's called the power of Google. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did, were there, were, were there, um, were there any old speculations that you had, um, gotten right? Um, kind of, um, <laughs> we, uh, there's still some left that I think like, I think our, uh, mailbag episode and our, uh, word of God episode, we're just going to close out all those other ones based on what we know. But, um, I said way, way, way back when that the source of all the powers is a parasite that Taylor will learn to control. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not a, yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I, when I said parasite, I was thinking specifically like a bug and that's where she learned to control. It is definitely a parasite. It goes into you and feeds off of you. Um, so, so yeah, it was right in a, in a way I was not expecting, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the main upshot is she learns to control other people's powers. That's, yeah. That's yeah. kind of what you were saying. I yeah. Think, but, the way yeah. I got there was infinitely both, <laughs> both more and less complex at the same time. Well, that's, that's the power of thinking in terms of themes. I think. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Um, number two, I said that, that foil will be the one to kill scion in the end we we had this pretty big hint with the sting weapon um which not entirely true but close enough she delivers the blow that is able to get the other weapon into his well to destroy his well so close 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 enough i'm gonna give myself credit for it yeah, I mean, she's, it was kind she's of instrumental. Free, it was kind of a freebie. I mean, they, they <laughs> Wildbow laid that out pretty, pretty obviously. Like, here is Sting, the only weapon we can kill each other with. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I got it, but yeah, it, it's, <laughs> you're right. On <laughs> upon analysis, it seems like a, a very good uh, Chekhov's gun. Yeah, and the last one was I said Taylor was going to use Canary to control capes. Um, kind of. <laughs> I mean. Like, yes, <laughs> she she uses Canary in her control of capes. Yeah, so. she uses her several times. She uses her multiple times to, like, to get to, to lure people in who she can't quite get otherwise or, or, yeah. to, or to weaken people's um, resistance or to, you know, yeah. 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 I, I, it, it's it not it, it's true that it's not the way you meant because you probably meant like leveraging her to do the Kepri thing except with Canary but yeah she does use her to control some capes yeah yeah okay I'll give it to me yeah um, I agree and I I guess I don't I don't really have any new speculations because the, the book's kind of over <laughs> I mean we got some epilogue stuff I don't really want to I just want like I said last week I just want to enjoy this ride and yeah um, I could I could make a is Taylor really dead or not speculation but I think there's that there's evidence supporting both sides in this thing. Like, I think I explained that and, um, I like it thematically either way. So let's just move into. Yeah. yeah well said. End. Well said. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that wraps up our coverage of arc 30 spec and the main body of, of the work worm. <sighs> I hope everyone enjoyed our discussion and hearing Scott's reactions. As always, we appreciate your feedback and we're always trying to improve. So let us know if you have any advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's episode. Yeah, you can reach us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at gotwormpod. Um, I am going to be doing a live reading of the epilogues on Thursday, the 14th at my usual time, noon central time. So if you want to see me finish worm for real, uh, that's where I'll be over there. All right. If you're not already subscribed to We've Got Worm, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on 
iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find this, all the other podcasts we do, and all of our writing, essays, film, and TV criticism, and more at dailyplanetfilms.com. Over on the other feed this week, we have a very special episode of the Daily Planet podcast, where my wife, Elise, joined me to talk about The Disaster Artist. It is the most ridiculous episode of the podcast I've recorded, and it's insane, but we had fun. So that's good. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. fun to listen to. Yeah. Um, also, another reminder that our, our, our book club meets this Friday at 9.30 p.m. over on our YouTube channel to discuss Tana French's The Secret Place. Um, there's still time, if you were a fast reader, to, to read this book if you haven't started yet. So uh, come hang out with us and, and talk about the book. Um, I think it's going to be a really good discussion. Yeah. Uh, spoilers. I love the book. So. <laughs> spoilers. So do I. Recommendation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, that's right, Scott. If you, if you like any of these shows and want to support them, um, for the time being, we still have a Patreon page. <laughs> <laughs> Patreon.com slash Daily Planet Films. Consider donating a dollar thirty a month or whatever else you can afford. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. Special uh, thanks to new patrons, uh, new, new planet here is James Gentry, uh, friend of the pod, James Gentry at $3. Yeah, thanks, and James. He's way Captain behind. Point. He's way behind on listening to Worm, so he's probably not going to hear this for months. Uh-huh. But he is slowly working his way through the book. And Thanks, awesome. James. Yeah. Talk to you later, James. And uh, Captain Planet Aaron at the $10 level. Yeah, thanks. thanks. We really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so also speaking of Patreon, make sure you stop by Waldo's page and toss some money there because he is the guy that makes this whole thing possible. Yeah, and if you can't afford to pledge right now, or holding in a waiting pattern waiting to see how this Patreon stuff shakes out, we understand. You can still help us by taking control of everyone within a 16-foot radius of you and forcing them to read Worm and listen to our podcast. Um, or you could just head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. This week, Matt, we've got two reviews to spotlight. First, from Mouse Protector 2.0 who gives us five stars and says, this is a podcast where two dudes who understand storytelling teach us what it's like to read Worm without being sucked into Taylor's head so far that morality falls away. Hey, look at that. Uh, can't wait to follow along with these guys on Ward. Me too, especially after finishing Worm and kind of starting to see what the world post-Worm is going to look like. I am more excited for Ward than ever. Um, and I'm sorry, Mouse Protector, that you got turned into a Bonesaw, master, uh, bonesaw monster. That's That's very sad. Yeah, our condolences. Yeah. Also, this week we have another five star from, review from Hedrigal. Uh, yeah, who gave us five stars and says, I wanted to show some love to this podcast. I am currently commuting to grad school and this has kept my car rides sane. Scott and Matt do a fantastic job of approaching this enormous book in an analytical, fun way that is friendly to both some new, to, to both someone new to Worm or wants to revisit after they read the whole thing in two weeks a year ago. It also served as a fantastic review for the upcoming sequel. I will say that the first episode or so, I was worried that they would would be a lack of general enthusiasm in how they deliver their analysis, but that quickly faded as I think the two felt more relaxed and confident on this project. That's that's very that's very true. Um, it's hard to do a close reading of a book that's larger than most book series. I want to thank the creators so much. They've allowed me to get Worm give Worm the analysis it deserves. I haven't caught up to date with the cast yet, but I hope this review serves as more motivation for them to continue, as I have little money to give. The large chapters can be daunting, but let this be another audience member saying just how appreciative he is. Excited for them to do Worm 2. Wild Beats readers are an untapped audience that you guys 
can get major listeners from, as I'm sure they've noticed. This would, of course, be years down the line after Worm 2, but would love to see them do Twig and finally even get me to finish Pact. God bless. Thank you, Scott and Matt. Whew, that was a long one. Um, yeah. That was very, very nice. Thank you so much. And uh, seeing as how there's only one arc left of this book, I can pretty much promise you we're going to continue um, and, and, and into Ward and and beyond that but seriously thank you so much for all those kind words hedrigal that was that was so nice of you and thanks to all of you who have taken the time to share your thoughts and reviews and ratings with us like we say every week it really really does help people notice um the more reviews you get the more on lists on itunes you uh you appear on and the more serious your podcast is taken and it has really helped us uh find some new audiences so so thank you so much keep it up please yeah, it makes me feel good when people say that uh, our podcasts make their commutes tolerable because that's what I use podcasts for mainly, and, and <laughs> yep. it makes me feel good. It makes me feel yeah. like I'm doing good. For sure. Uh, yeah, all right. That's it for us this week. Next week, we'll be covering ARC 31 Teneral. Uh, I think is how you say that. It's all over but the epilogues, Scott. Based on the name, what do you think we're going to learn? Well, Matt, according to Google, Teneral is a state of an imago of an insect immediately after molting, during which a soft which it is soft and immature in coloring. I'm guessing with that, uh, we'll, we'll of course see the aftermath of the battle with Scion and, and see our world and our characters like in the dawn of a new world. I think with the death of Scion and Taylor, that old phase of Earth has been molted off and a new, hopefully better, more adult <laughs> Earth uh, appears that is uh, it's kind of soft and immature right now, but with some, with some potential. And I think that's what we're going to yeah. see. A soft, swishy earth. Yeah. <laughs> so we will find out next week on the penultimate episode of We've Got One. EverQuest. I told I told someone I would do an EverQuest yeah. uh, mention, so I did that. Nerf Warriors. <laughs> hey Matt, we're only twelve minutes past three hours. That's not too okay. bad. <laughs>